Welcome to episode 36 of It's Server Time. It is not going to involve Mix on the 36th episode. We are unfortunately um, without him because he just got off of a flight. He wasn't feeling very good. And uh, yeah, he's just taking the day off. So, and we just, we can only get these out on certain days because basically I'm here at Pro League at Katowice. So I'm like busy a lot. And uh, when we have the opportunity, we got to take it. So that's why we're still running it regardless. Hope you guys still find a way to enjoy it without the lovely Joshua Mix. Um, right before this, we were actually talking about, though, our some of our favorite drinks. So um, we're going to go around just to open things up here with Pernogo. What's what is your when you go to a bar? What do you what do you start with? How are you, how are you carrying yourself? What do you get? What do you order? I told you guys, man, I just straight shots. That's a straight shooter. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't spend a lot of time at bars, which you may have been able to figure out based on the fact that I would order straight shots. But that's yeah, that's yeah. usually what it is. Now, I'll I'll be with someone and I, it's probably like a social queuing thing, too, because they'll be like, I'm going to order like, a, you know, one of these girly drinks or whatever. You know, just a little yeah. a little bit of a starter. And then I'm just like, ah, whiskey. And then. So it's an elitism thing. No, it's not. It's just like a masculinity thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was specifically implying I would actually go to a bar with a woman, actually. A femoid, oh. perhaps. Yeah. And one of those. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that's obviously. Uh, yeah. Great start. Sure. Great start. That's my, that's my preferred <laughs> drink. That's my preferred. Okay. You know what? It, okay. I will say briefly, when I said that jokingly, like 20 episodes ago, there was one YouTube comment that got me where he was like, I can't believe you have a misogynistic individual on this show. Unbelievable. And, I, and you know, it's just, you know. did We're people canceled. have worse social cueing than yeah. I do? Is that possible? Like, what is wrong with these people? They can't Very get a possible. YouTube comments are always great to read. Like, yeah. definitely always normal people it's just real it's real and legit feedback every single time <laughs> from trusted individuals no what's your yeah. what's your bev what's your bevy i would say an old fashioned is definitely like if it's like a decent bar then definitely an old fashioned i think like generally they can make it pretty well if you have a good if they have a good selection between like rye whiskey bourbon yeah i can yeah. i can usually like fuck with one if there's a half decent bar yeah, I've tried. I've tried a handful of old fashions. I feel like it's a little uh, like I. I'll just put it out there. I have been probably for like three years, four years. I was a Negroni guy, so I was getting what's that? Just gin, Campari, and uh, ver vermouth. And I would, and I think that's like a really nice, just like complex flavor. But it's also kind of like I'm comfortable with it now. And then I actually like stripped it out even more now. So I'm just getting I've been getting martinis actually for the last year because uh, it's just like I, I just now realize I don't love not knowing how much alcohol I'm drinking, a.k.a. like these crazy cocktails that just kind of yeah. get you drunker than you think you're going to get. And now I just want to get hit in the face by it. No, it's like an intense drink so that I don't overdo it anymore. And it's actually helped me just like drink less because if I have two martinis, I felt myself getting a strong buzz because of the flavor also like i'm not it's not just gonna sneak up on me so also when you're getting like a bunch of those cocktails you're also mixing up like sugar and in intake as well so yeah you can also fuck with the way that you're getting like a little bit more buzz it's harder to tell as well right yeah no it's super yeah. if you ever have any of those like strawberry vodkas even there's they're getting pretty good at masking the alcohol and it just feels like you're having a seltzer or something and then <laughs> before you know it on the floor so yeah. What, how do you how do you usually have your martinis? So I usually go. I I actually think 
I have gone dry on them for a while. I don't necessarily, I think it's because dirty martinis are a little inconsistent for me. Whereas like I can be very, I do dry with just like a twist of lemon. Um, so just like, you know, lemon peel. Uh, and I feel like most places do a pretty good job at that. And then all you're really, all you're really comparing there are, is like how good the, the gin is, how good the vermouth is and what the ratio is based off of what the bartender does. And then like, they can do a little more with the lemon. Like sometimes they do a big twist or whatever. And then they like coat the glass and stuff like that. And just, that's all I really need. Like, I don't want it to be too dirty. Like, do you, do you get them dirty or what? No, I don't like, I don't like dirty martinis at all. Oh, okay. I don't. I usually don't like martinis, but the couple of times I've had them, they were pretty okay if they were dry. My brother yeah. made me one that was super dirty, and it was just like disgusting to me. I did not <laughs> like it at all. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. All right. This isn't a. This isn't an alcohol podcast. <laughs> but we want. We did. We just wanted to open things up with a little bit something different there. So we're going to be talking a lot about pro league here because that's obviously like what's been going on for the last couple weeks. It's still going to be going on for three weeks. Three more weeks uh, as of this recording, and uh, yeah. So let's just get let's just start from the top on this one. So we got we had Group A that was played out. The winner of the group was Vitality as they five would their group. Did you guys have you guys been liking this new Vitality because they didn't qualify for Blast, like but they looked pretty pretty solid in their group. So yeah, thoughts. I mean, I like them. I think even when we went away from Blast, we all we all thought that they looked pretty decent and just needed like a little bit more time to kind of click. But at this event, they I think they kind of hit the form that um I don't want to say it was expected of them, but it's kind of the the kind of level we expected to see of them originally when we saw them go international. And people were like, "Oh, they have Dupree and Madis, and so you were like, surely that they they're gonna play well." But this event, they actually kind of hit that, and it was pretty noticeable in the mid rounds especially because you'd have situations unfold like it did uh with the previous roster with Masuda but then it would be like a 3v3 and then Sphinx would get like the one key kill to crack open like that specific situation like they'd walk into a bomb site on Mirage and Sphinx would just instantly entry the guy playing close and then they would have the site and it would just be like there's certain rounds you could definitely tell that um he was making an like the absolute difference between the previous roster versus this one. Like it's, it seems like a not necessarily like a, a small change, but like swapping a player isn't always gonna give you like the exact kind of impact you're looking for. But for this team specifically, it did exactly what was needed because Spinks can just take that initiative and get those certain kills in the most important situations that matter, and that's what was opening up rounds for them here. It's basically exactly what we all wanted to see when Sphinx was announced and touted. Even before it was officially revealed, we we were thinking, okay, Masuda obviously is not dead weight, but he's not nearly pulling his weight in terms of what they really need. And I think a lot of that was predicated on the fact that we we all expected the Danish duo to do a lot better than they ended up doing and offer a lot more impact. So when they weren't actually being able to multi-frag on the CT side as well as they ought to have been, or when they were just a bit lackluster in their T-side moves, it, it felt to me like, okay, if these guys can take a backseat and take a more supportive role, then Spinks can do the heavier lifting that we thought the Danes would. And maybe that is going to just improve a lot of things. I think it was you, Madison, who said before that, you know, if we just shoot people like 25% more often or something, then a lot of your problems go away, even if there are, you know, cohesion problems or like the language isn't setting in properly or what have you. But 
I also don't know. Like, it's one of those things where maybe if we had more back, background information on Vitality and we saw, like, maybe Masuda was struggling more with English or something, that would add more color to, like, whether or not uh, slotting in a very comfortable English speaker in, in his place would help with their co communication. And sometimes I do think you still see some issues with that anyway, where it's like, obviously, Sphinx is adapting to a new system, a new the whole set of leadership. But... For the most part, I think that this move has gone exactly the way that people wanted to. Uh, I'm still waiting to see if this is enough to propel them to like a steady top three. But considering the weak field that they're going up against, aside from the FaZe and the Navi, and also depending on how much weight you put on these EPL games, FaZe and Navi might be there for the taking anyway. Or they both sort of slapped a little bit uh, in the last couple of times. Obviously, Endpoint defeating uh, Navi, which we'll maybe we'll touch on, or maybe that's the only little <laughs> words that they get. But either way, it's like, okay, well, maybe these teams are a little bit more mortal. Certainly in these games that don't matter as much because they're a group stage game as opposed to a playoff game. They're not the big stage environment. Vitality, you know, making it through here is, I think, exactly what we wanted to see because the pressure isn't on yet. So just use this as, like, practice, but also really try to defeat some of these really good teams, right? So I'm glad that they uh, were able to show up a little bit here. And even though I don't necessarily, you know, watch every game as intently as possible, uh, because it's not one of those big stage ones, it is still something that is nice to see Spinks firing sort of on all cylinders. You know, he's really, uh, I think, a very solid player. And so I'm glad to see that he's able to represent his new team against tier one a lot more often. You know, obviously, uh, Vitality is a, a partner team, so to speak, and, and Ants wasn't, right? So that's another thing to think about, I guess. I think Ence is a partner team for Pro League, but not Blast. So basically, he has yes. more more yeah, time yeah. to shine, more time to prove that he is uh, worthy of that sort of Tier 1 status, which I think he rightly has earned at this point. No one, I don't think anybody's even really doubting him. Uh, he hasn't really popped off like incredibly at a super high levels at stadium moments, I would say. Yeah. But at this point, it seems like it's a matter of time for that to happen. And right now, I would peg him as... Pretty easily a top 12 player of the year. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind at that number. You might, I might even go further up. Like I, if I had to give him a ranking today, it probably is around like seven to nine actually. Yes. But I, I, I'd have to like, I'd have to really break it down and think yeah. about who else, who else occupies my top 10 to, to put that out there. But pro, I, I would just, I would just say like eighth, eighth best of the year so far. And I think with Vitality, what's nice is that he's actually probably going to get a boost for the last few months here because this team just feels like they're better than Ents were. So you're going to, you're going to see him more often competing at a higher level. And even though maybe you go deep in a tournament, it, you'll, you'll have one bad series because you're against the best team in the, like a, a Navi or a phase in the late round or a late tournament situation. But just getting that far gives more like, to even achieve that, we all actually rightly so value the the placing of his team um, and give him a little bit of slack that maybe in the last match he put up a 0.95 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Antwerp Major where he, he reaches semis. It's like you're supposed to lose at that point. Like you're not supposed yeah. to be able to make it all the way to the finals and challenge in that sense because you're just new to the game in the sense, like new to the top level game. So that's definitely something where I think, I don't know, for me, I feel like on the point about Ants being a partner for only one of the two leagues, I do think that that is a like a more extreme example of this has been Cloud Nine recently, where we haven't. We feels like we haven't seen them play in so long. So the fact that Vitality yes. is going to show Spinks off way more is going to be. I just think it's good for the game. It's good for the game to have like a new star, uh, potential superstar talent, where he could theoretically propel himself up to top five. Maybe not this year, but next year. It's like definitely something to watch out for, and I'm really glad for him but in that sense. To that point, I really wish that Blast would just invite four non-partner teams, mm -hmm. like the four highest-ranked teams outside of theirs, just for the group stage even, because they already do it for the showdown. But if they did it for the group stage, 
it would add a little bit more flair to the event as a whole, yeah. I think. Like, I don't know. I, I'm sure they have, like, some obligations as to, like, whatever their agreement is with partner teams. But if they invited four teams, it would, A, keep all of their partner team, teams in check. Because if they're then being beaten by the four, like, if somehow out of the six spots that go to the fall showdown, four of the partner teams are beating them, then they're going to already be checked for that. But you also are missing out on the chance to see teams like Ents, like Cloud9 playing in the... And it's always, like, the first tournament after the break as well. So you're always missing yeah. out for, like, basically an entire month in seeing some of the best teams because then it, it usually goes like blast and then it goes EPL and EPL yeah. already has groups. So you're not seeing a lot of these teams even now. Like we aren't seeing cloud nine. We aren't seeing ends. Uh, we're only going to see them now. So it's just like, for me, that's, that's a little rough. And I don't see why they would, I think it was even mentioned on the last snake inventor episode um, or maybe the one with Freya. I don't remember, but uh, it would also help change the format of the, the entire event if they had 16 teams. Because 12 is such a weird number. It's, yeah, it's it is. Just like, you can really can't set up like a good format with 12 teams anyway. Yeah. Um, but to quickly go back to Vitality, I think that Sphinx has also helped unlock like a little bit more of Dupree, it seems. like He's also playing a lot better than he was previously. So it's it's kind of like a knock-on change for me in the, in the sense that it's not solely... Um, it's not just solely Sphinx stepping into this team and fragging out. It's kind of unlocking the potential of the rest of the team like we expected to see before. I mean, Zywoo just had a monster, monster event at this one, too. So, yeah, yes. I mean, it, it kind of... it. I think everybody is actually playing better. Um, I, I mean, maybe statistically, like, one person is a little bit worse for some weird reason, but, like, this Pro League so far, in terms of rating, it, statistically alone, it's the best that Zywoo has performed... If you just if you just stop the event today, he hasn't played this well across like a ten plus map thing for a really effing long time. Like actually, I, I actually I'm scrolling through right now since Blast Spring 2020 Europe Showdown. That's the last time he's had a rating like this. So it's been like two years in any tournament with ten or more maps that he's had this kind of rating. So it's not it's not like playoffs yet. So you can't. It's like maybe the competition's easier, but they beat Navi, you know, they beat, they beat everybody. They beat everybody, and he was still fragging out in many of those games, so, like, I um, think there's something to, to talk about there with his own form, but either way, I think that when I look at this Vitality team, I guess, I guess I'll put it like this. Um, with, how, how close are they? So I would say, like, the elite S-tier teams right now are Navi and FaZe. How close do you guys think Vitality is? Like, how, what, what, what more do they need to prove to us um to, to get there i need to see them on a stage i i don't yep. think like I, for me it's really hard to judge teams until they actually play in like a proper audience stage okay. line environment because i don't know like you had at the last major you had copenhagen flames play really well behind closed doors and then you hit stage and then they played a little bit different yeah it's just like i think every team needs that kind of proven ground and like you said before Spinks has struggled like a little deeper into tournaments so far on ends so it's hard yeah. to make a full judgment on them until they actually take to making uh playoffs and playing in front of a crowd right now i would agree 100 percent. it's like it's one of those things where you again it depends on how heavily you weigh the group stage round robin format or what have you right it's like are these really going to be the, the cases where you try the hardest? I mean, when, when it, you know, there was that whole debate, I guess, over whether or not Navi were trying super hard against NIP later on when NIP actually did defeat them. And 
that's because it seemed like it was a meaningless game at that point based on how the, all the point spread worked out and all that stuff. And, you know, I know that striker's favorite moment is when he's called to action to break down all the different scenarios and <laughs> yeah. stuff. And, and, you know, yeah. credit to, I'm glad somebody's doing that because it is pretty confusing for the average person to just try, or even somebody like me who watches this stuff more intently. It's like, wait, what are the scenarios again? So I'm glad that there's a resource out there, but it is also one of those things where it's like, if you do figure it out and you are certain of certain things, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's hard to try super hard when you already know, like, the fate of the tournament or the fate of your placing. And, um, you know, you still should, but that doesn't always happen, right? And so when you see games like this, it is hard to decide, okay, was this legit? Was that, Were they against op- opposition that were really trying as hard as they could? You know, are, are, are they against teams that have no chance to make out and are thus maybe a little bit emo, a little bit broken mentally? Uh, are they against, you know, a team that's already made it out so they don't care as much uh, or stands a really good chance or what have you? So it's it's one of those things where you, you are not really 100% sure. And then even irrespective of that, like I said earlier, these aren't the highest pressure games. That's why when Note said that uh, they really need to be on the stage, I 100% agree. It's one of those things where I feel like absolutely that's where our like that's where true cs is for my money and it might sound a little arbitrary to draw your line there but it's like when the crowds are are there and you you can barely hear anything and it's like just such a a whirlwind of emotions and and feelings and it's like the the real uh creme de la creme really rises to the top at that point you know what i mean so that's what i want to see this vitality squad at and it'll be really exciting to see them i'm obviously their first seed out so uh interested to see where that goes i'll I'll actually i'll actually take more vitality side in this one that I don't necessarily need to see them succeed on a stage. I want to see that they can play this level of counter-strike throughout because EPL playoffs are not with a crowd. And if they, if they go deep in the EPL playoffs, let's say they get top two or top four, I'm almost, I'm almost ready to give them the elite status because the thing is that this isn't, this is already not a team that I think is going to crumble on stages. You've got like three guys that have made one majors on the team already. You've got like Zaiwu has shown that he can play very well at land Spinks a little bit less so, but, and, but I think that right now with them, if they're able to consistently just come like top four at events that are more so in studio, I think that that to me puts them in the upper in like the upper echelon. So such that if they go to the major and they make the playoffs, I would give them a very strong chance to upset a Navi or a phase just simply because I know that if they've been if they had done it. In the playoffs of EPL, they're going to believe that they can do it on stage. That's not going to change anything for them too much. So, so I kind of need to see a really strong run in the playoffs, I guess, of yep. EPL, and then maybe I can give them that title. Or that I, I would, I would be able to classify them as elite, especially if they like, like, let's say they win EPL. Like, I don't think, I don't think I need to see them on a stage, and I would call them elite right then and there. Like, that's that's that would be good enough for me, but I'm not going to do it yet. Like, it's still still yeah. a little bit away. Too early to like, jump the gun. Too early. But yeah. I will say, it's like. It's kind of a more like meta idea, I guess, about team chemistry and their development. But you have to also remember when you're betting in a new player or when you're changing some aspect of your system, it's going to be a long time or maybe not super long, but at least the time there's an extension period where we're like, okay, how is this going to shape up and where is it going to go? I want to see this Vitality Squad when they have time to properly anti-strat their opponents and are already figured out their game and are trying to figure out how to adapt their game to best fit their opponents. Because that's where it's going to be, that's where the rubber is going to meet the road for real. So if we can get that on stage, anti-strat time without needing to worry about how are we implementing our game and whether or not it's the right way, that's when this Vitality Squad can really be elite. And I think just based on the names, uh, like the pedigree of their roster, so to speak, that's where I really want to see this roster shine. So like come back in a month or so and then I think it'll be much easier easier to call uh, whether or not it's going to be a successful experiment but i think the odds are good for that so looking forward to it 
Okay, okay. Let's move on to a team that definitely underperformed in this group that, uh, I mean, they made playoffs, but kind of more because of a formality and how the round robbed. Like, basically, just they, they won more maps. They won more maps, so that's Navi. And I'm going to open this up with the fact that this is the worst I've seen Bit play in a very long time. And I don't... I, I don't... I, I think this kind of shows... This is kind of, like, the first time in a very long time that Bit has looked kind of, I would just say bad. Like, statistically, you look at the 0.99 rating for the groups, and you don't think that's horrible, but he, but his positions are so important on so many maps that when he does not perform, like, he's almost, he just kind of needs to, and you can see how the system sort of breaks for Navi when he is kind of just, like, a below-average player, uh, which he was at this one. Like, they're... Like basically, I'd say the one of the re main reasons they lost to Endpoint in that match is because Bit got twenty kills over two maps. He went like in in total, he went twenty and thirty nine. Like that's just so beneath Bit. Like to just bo basically bottom frag against Endpoint. Like what that that ah, man, it's 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 kind of inexcusable. Um, but also, what I will say is that one thing I really dislike is that I kind of just it, it feels to me like Bit's not really that creative of a player like he doesn't innovate on his own game at all like i'm seeing him take in the game against nip that they lost on overpass i guess it didn't really matter because i think it was map number well let me see was it map number three already so what it was map number three i noticed bit went to the same spot like four times in a row on ct side and i was like what don't what what is this like what what am i watching like you're just gonna you're getting hard cleared on after attempt number two like you don't this is just like are you like i don't know if he just is only following a very strict set of rules that Blade has put him in that box. I've thrown out that theory before that I think Blade just kind of gives him very set instructions about what he needs to do in the beginning of every default, and he just follows it to a T, and then all he has to focus on is his aim beyond that. But I also think that that maybe has like been covering up Bit for so long, such that if Navi or Blade doesn't come up with some new prep strategy for Bit in a game or a match where they didn't run it in practice, he's going to default to just doing really simple stuff all the time. Yeah, just I mean, easier to figure me, it out, right? It also yeah. makes me wonder if it's because Blade's more focused right now on kind of implementing both SDY and helping Electronic Call that there's like less focus on like other individuals like probably. the team right now. Yeah, probably. Like, if that's kind of one of his focuses, then maybe he's... I don't know how much freedom Bit has in that system necessarily, but it could be that what you're saying and that he kind of just has spots that he's told to go into and he plays from there. Or it could also be that Bit isn't taking the initiative on his own while the focus is elsewhere right now and he's not really being helped to make those decisions. It's kind of weird for me, though, because Simple's previously said that Bit is like, he does take initiative. He said it in interviews before and he kind of does like have the brain for the game. So for for him not to be doing that right now makes me kind of wonder how that how that like reflects on him as an individual and whether it's necessarily like true or not. Because he said it about Perfecto and Perfecto like does make his own decisions and he does adapt his own game. Yeah, Perfecto is pretty funny. evident. Yeah. Perfecto was one of the better evident. He was kind of one of the bright spots of most of their group stage. I think he had a very bad yes. last series, so he didn't end up with like great stats. But in the in the first four series, I remember that he had he actually had a higher rating than Simple or something like maybe three, maybe first three or four series. He had the highest rating on Navi, and I think it's safe to say actually that 
if Blade is directing a lot of his attention towards those things you just mentioned with SDY and helping Electronic out, then Perfecto and Perfecto and Simple are kind of weirdly the guys that right now you're you're sort of counting on because they can think for themselves a little bit more. Because th if this is Bit thinking for himself, then Bit then Bit's just not a great player overall. Like, but but I think but the thing is that we've seen so many times that on the best like the biggest stages that he he's like probably their second most important player. So he, but it's, I, it's just, yeah, devotion of resources for Navi. Did there. you, yeah. did you see that leaked or not leaked, but like the time where there is a photograph of the strat sheet that yeah. got translated. Um, a lot of it was very specific as to yeah. what the players should do in the openings of rounds and whatnot. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, because it was so specific and Blade is trying to implement this this system with electronic calling. I'm wondering if they're adapting so hard that they have fewer strats in that in that book to the point where like some players are just playing the same spots four rounds in a row. Like, and the thing is that if you're a bit and you're playing the same spot four rounds in a row, okay, okay, you're also four rounds in a row is four times in the same half. But but yeah, I'm, oh, just okay. so I can just so I clear that up, just yeah. so I clear. Okay, up. okay, it's, gotcha. But he just played side is, like, like like party or a playground or. No, party four times in a half, like the exact same spot. That actually, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that 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 actually adds to my point in the sense that they have less strats in the book right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. If it was not four rounds in a row, but four times in a half, that just tells me that they have less in their playbook overall at the moment. And yeah. for that, like, it, you get away with it when Bit is an absolute turret because he's just going to headshot like two people instantly and then fall away. But when that's not working for you and you only have those couple of strats in the book, then like then you get the end point series for example yep well that's the point that everybody was saying is like surely it can't continue as soon as bit falls off then you need to find a different way to use him in terms of like if he's not a turret if he is if he does need a little bit more of a jump on his opponents or to play a, maybe a spot that catches them off guard in that sense then yeah you're going to need to figure it out and it's sort of like designing a competitive meta almost where it's like oh i this gun isn't working for what i want anymore so i'm going to change like one thing about it you can't just do that you can't just change where bit is in one spot you need to work it in like blade has to work it into the rest of the set piece where do people play off of him now that he's in a slightly different position what does that unlock for his opponents that you know his team is going to have to compensate for it's very complicated and nuanced in that sense where maybe it seems like oh just move bit forehead but it's like a little bit more involved than that and that's where it comes down to it to me is like i think note's point is great where he's talking about this idea that Obviously, Blade is uh, trying to help Electronic IGL, and he's trying to integrate SDY, who, I i don't know about you guys, I'm still not 100% sold on him as a Navi caliber player necessarily, but maybe that's a separate conversation. It's just, when you do have that division of resources, it is one of those things where if you're, if all of your players, or at least some of your players, especially the newer ones like Bit, need a little bit more attention from the coach, from the planning and the tactician and stuff, in order to find that success, especially when they're maybe not as much on form as they were before, then you are going to see these necessary dips. It's like a, a, a two-faceted problem here where it's like Bit's not firing on all cylinders like he used to be, and he's not getting the attention that he needs to be reactivated or to, to still find value for his team, despite the fact that he can't just headshot people instantaneously every time, uh, which obviously was never really considered as like a sustainable idea. Uh, so yeah, I guess it's no, not really a surprise. The only question is, you know, do they take this opportunity that they've scraped into playoffs and error correct? And, you know, I'm sure Blade is aware of this problem, especially if it's something you can just sort of glean by looking at the stats. So how 
how many strats can they pull together and how much can they reintegrate bit into their new system with this downtime before the playoffs? That's my question. And I mean, you have to have some faith in Blade. You have to have some faith in the, in the sort of support structure around Navi to make sure that they find some value. But it is one of those things where you, it's, it's almost like a ticking clock. Like you, there's the old idea, like when Astralis were number one, they were competing against themselves to make sure that they always had like another yeah. thing in there so that if they, they didn't innovate, going. people would catch up and then they would be yeah. no longer number one. It's like Navi have to do that, but not to say that they're number one necessarily, but they have to do that just because people are starting to anti-strat them and figure out what makes them tick. And the the more they, they sort of like, it's like plugging a bunch of holes on the ship. You know, it's like, oh, I left this one a while ago and now it's leaking everywhere. It's like, that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from this Navi squad. And hopefully, I mean, I don't think they'll ever sink super low, but it's like, if you're, if you're getting, you know, smacked by endpoint, yeah, maybe you've already started to sink a little bit. So yeah, that's a good analogy. I would say just, uh, the, the ship with like holes that need to keep getting repaired with them. I wouldn't, I think that the caliber of, uh, bit is good enough that I don't like, I felt like this, this is a bit of an anomaly, uh, for him. Like, but I do think that it's not like he's gonna, in some ways, I don't, I almost don't think that bit is necessarily supposed to, uh, regain the form that he had when he was like the sec the easily second best player on the team. I think yeah. he's gonna be kind of more like bouncing around a little bit more between like two to three on the team. I think like I mean just, just from this group. I don't think I don't think Perfecto is always supposed to be like this good, but it's just like he kind of showed actually what he was capable of in terms of Perfecto individually patching some of the holes for the team uh in some of these matches. So I'm not like ringing the alarm bells for Navi because I also think that you're probably right that I think I think well I guess we're all kind of right on this that I think that they were probably focusing on a couple different things for this sort of group stage and uh this was like uh, come playoff time no one's going to want to play Navi like it's not like this is this is them showing like so many signs of weakness it was almost like like this kind of felt like Navi taking it like a regular season for like a professional sports team yes, where they're yeah. just like, like whatever this group stage, we're going to make it through this group stage. Well, let's just try some things in the meantime. And then when come playoff time, we'll start ramping up again because I mean, simple, put it out there. Like they want to deny this grand slam from, from phase as, as much as they can. Uh, and I think everybody probably does. So this is not like a tournament that they can take lightly. If he really means anything behind those words. So yeah. Okay. Let's let's go. Let's keep going then on this group. Uh, there's there's a couple more teams that we could talk about. The first one I wanted to mention because I think they have the most news surrounding them is actually is actually NIP. So I want us to like talk. We haven't really broken down this this move yet on on this show. So I want us to get I want to get your guys' opinions on the whole Alexi B ordeal switching to England. Okay. So like the, all the parts of this are obviously that. NIP has removed Plopsky, who was doing a lot of anchor roles, kind of like, I'd say like support, mostly support-ish rifle roles. Uh, it seemed like he kind of had to just do whatever was asked of him, honestly. And then they used, they, they got rid of him to bring in Alexi B, which means Hampus is now going to be more of a dedicated fragger. I think they even said that, like, someone, I think someone mentioned that it was going to be like, on the, like more like a lurking type player, actually, for them. And then they're keeping Rez now on the op. Because they used Rez for two series at Pro League, and apparently, if you guys read that Swedish interview yep. about him, like they, the DJL said, like this guy's mechanics are some of the best in the world with Simple and Zaiwu, which was like maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure you get the quote <laughs> right because he said, he said maybe Simple and Zaiwu are as good as Rez. Like, come on, <laughs> maybe? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Is it yeah, really any questions? So. 
Yeah, that was a little bit too much for me. But I also think that there's there's something to be said there where I I mean, I tweeted out. Actually, let's I want you guys to first selfishly address my tweet where I said that by the end of the year, Rez will be a better opera than Farlig, Cadian and device or like i mean he's gonna perform outperform them device outperform okay. outperform so it's a little bit of a it's a little well, bit it's of a, a cheat bait yeah. a little baity yeah. like right there because obviously like device just probably won't play which is why <laughs> i can say that <laughs> that's like me saying like he's gonna be a better opera than kenny s and device at the end of the year uh, by yeah. the end of the year in terms of output and it's like no one's no one can even de- debate that because they're not playing. So yeah, save the um, clickbait one for the last one, of course. That's, yeah, that's a little, yeah. It's no, a little okay. bit of a bullshit premise. But, okay. but, but, I'll, but I'll say, I'll say, I, I do believe the far league and Cadian angle, though. I believe oh, that he's gonna... no. You had me until you said device. Yeah. So well, the, like, that's, yes, that's, yes, that's just correct. like that's. Let's just be honest. That's just an impression farm right there. Just like saying device's name at the end is just like everybody's gonna be like, what the <laughs> better than device? What do you what do you mean? Oh, he's like, oh wait, he's not playing. Yeah, yeah. that's that's really what it is actually. But, but but okay, versus Farley and Katie, and where do you think where do you think he stands, or he's gonna stand? You can go for now, yeah. Like so, okay, the, the problem is I have to go off on the snip move in general, but I'll save that for after we're talking about okay. res. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, we'll talk about the greater yeah, move. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the okay, the res situation is interesting because. Like they were trying to say that, oh, he showed some promise during the CPL run and we were like still trying to figure things out or whatever. And I mean, I don't know, like DJL, I feel like, I mean, despite the fact that a lot of members of talent have said that this guy clearly knows what he's doing and his like transformation of NIP, especially their T sides is really powerful and stuff. I still feel like he's kind of underrated where it's like people just forget he exists or something. And maybe that's just because not many people watch NIP anymore, but it's like, I do think that if he says something, even if it sounds hyperbolic or it is hyperbolic, like the whole res skill angle, it still is one of those things where it's like, okay, he's not just baseless, right? He's not just spouting off nonsense. Like this guy knows a thing or two about Counter-Strike. And so I'll trust him in the sense that I think it's quite possible that they can configure a system where res can learn the op, uh, learn enough about the op to be, you know, obviously, you know, a better fit for it than Esatag potentially, uh, who was always just meant there as a not device replacement. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't meant to do that. So he was obviously meant to be a supportive rifler anyway. Like he can go do his thing now, which is obviously a positive. Um, I am a bit surprised that they didn't go for a different free agent op potentially, or somebody like try to buy somebody out or something. Uh, but if you're going to go the angle of like, let's work with what we have, then yeah, I, I can see why they would pick Rez. I do think, according to your tweet, he will probably outperform Farley. He will probably outperform Kadian. That's because I feel like Kadian is not doing so hot lately. No, and I he also has, think he hasn't been. I yeah. think Farley is like, I don't know, man. He's he's an upgrade over Lucky, but I mean, put me in the chair and maybe I will be Far- too. So I don't know. Farley <laughs> is. Farlig is just like under way too much mental pressure every single day because <laughs> he's like on the biggest Danish team and everybody's talking about them and he thinks that device is going to take a seat like in a that week. is an, that's another mental thing about Farlig so that I feel fine. for it's like it's like Jesus yeah. man like the whole time you're you're knock syndrome but except you know it's coming potentially although we don't yeah. even know there was that like weird news story where it's like nip in talks with devices preferred team but they won't say who it is obviously so it's they did like, in the in the article they okay. said the preferred team is astralos okay, okay okay they did say it is astralos okay. but they're also trying to resell him yeah. for the same amount they bought him at which is like a million euros <laughs> or something yeah. oh really good luck really? yes good luck dude getting astralos to pay anything astralos yeah, will sit i'm waiting for the astralos to sit down with the, their current csgo team and say guys 
uh, listen, uh, if you if you guys don't accept a pay cut, then uh, you not only will device not be here, but you know, look around. The support staff around you won't be here. And then somebody's like, uh, d- guys, didn't we already do this in LEC? Uh, oh shit, yeah, we got to change the script. Let me come up with something different. Hold on, like I'm just waiting for that to happen, man. What a shit org, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they just they they just seem to care a lot about their bottom line right now, and that's uh. That's why there's like these such crazy amounts of hesitation when you could get a guy that could change the entire makeup of like the entire outlook of your franchise. Dude, this Astralis, let's just, just have a little side tangent here. That's basically a missing piece for them. Just having yeah. a device like figure. If they got because Blame F is fragging every single game. Like I, it's almost like you can yes. count on him on every map to have 22 kills. And then Config is a streaky guy, but he's like up and down here and there. But then the thing is like you just need some other output that you can count on. And that's what device does perfectly well. So if they just had that, you would basically have two guys that you're going to expect to have 20 plus kills per game. And then you just kind of need either a system that sets up the other three in some way, or you need just one of the other three to do well. Cause you can win a game with just three guys balling out. And that's, you're basically going to have two guys balling out every single game. If you get them, they, this is so it's, it's almost just so like, like it seems just so in their face. Like just, just sell some of your stock. It's like you know, just sell some shares, buy them back. No, anything. This, this nip change to me, like okay, yeah. I think there's so many factors in this. It's it's kind of absurd to me. First of all, the fact that device is even looking for a team and NIP aren't bringing him back is an indictment to NIP itself. Like that tells me device is like, no, fuck this team. I'm out. I want to go elsewhere. Like I want to go back to a Danish team. Like yeah. NIP are now literally switching one of the best Swedish riflers into an op because A, there's no good Swedish oppers that could replace that role right now. B, Device doesn't want to come back. Like They're switching to English anyway. Device could easily speak speak English and and, and play on that team still. That tells me Device is like, I don't want to come back to this lineup if he's trying to make a return. Like they said in interviews before that they don't want to that they don't want to make a lineup change, but now they're essentially making both a lineup change and a rule change for one of their best players. So that already is like a mark on that whole situation for me. Secondly, I think yes, Rez is probably a better operator than Esetag. I don't think that that's a really high bar to set. This poor guy, I, I do feel bad for Esetag. This poor guy's gotten, like, destroyed in the last, basically the last year between the whole Cloud9 situation, the complexity team, joining NIP to play with Device, and then Device leaving, and then suddenly being told, oh no, you're now our opera. Yeah, don't forget uh, the heroic yeah. angle where and then like him not joining or not sticking with them like ruined the FPX deal and probably like indirectly led to the death of Flashpoint, by the way. And so it's just like, dude, this guy's whole tier one career has been a total disaster. Uh, really it's feel actually an absolute him. tragedy for this man. He's <laughs> like every move. he It's like he's uh, he should have just done everything opposite in his career. Actually, I think this is like the. I think Thorin made this reference recently, but it is like the the Seinfeld thing with uh, George. Just he should just. There's a day where George just says, "You know what? My life has gone horribly wrong. I need to just do every anything I think of. The first thing I think of, I'm just going to do the opposite of it, and that's what Essa Tag should be doing." Um, yeah, it's so. Someone in the chat said, "Device fanboy moment for me." I I feel like people just because Device hasn't regularly been playing for a little while actually forget how fucking good device yeah. was like it's really weird the way the narrative has shifted on him yeah with people being like oh like 
device. It's just, it's such a strange way that people approach it. The guy was literally the most consistent top five player in the world. Like, yeah. he was never a simple, but he was also a player that you could consistently rely on any match, whether it be a, uh, like a arena match, whether it be a group stage match, he would deliver every single time. So, like, the thing is, yes, he's been out of action for a year, but, like, it, it's kind of two-sided to me. Yes, him coming back after being away for basically six months to a year, we don't really know how he's going to perform, sure. But it's also a player who's showcased unrivaled amounts of consistency for the majority of his career. And I think that it's really hard to go against that and gamble against him being that good of a player. Like, it's it's really weird to see the way the narrative shifted for him. And I get it. Like, I, I think the idea that NIP is asking for the same amount of money for him is absurd to me. Like, that part I don't get. Like, he's been out of action for a year. He's Yes, he's on a two-and-a-half-year contract still. But asking for a million dollars for him when he's not played for basically the, like, I, I don't remember when he actually got benched, but more or less a year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that That's a little bit fucked. But I still think that Device is, like, the, the amount of power he brings to the team is unrivaled. Yeah. Um, yeah and I also, think... like, like, and I... Like, NIP could use him. Obviously, Astralis can use him. Uh, Heroic could use him. Make Cadian oh, just the in-game leader. Like, there's so many teams that would benefit from him. And I think, like, yes, it's really easy to be like, oh, but he's been away for this long. But he's also, like, Device, I feel like, as a player, when he sets his mind to something, he does, like, perform in it. I don't know what, like, obviously, this specific NIP situation is a bit of an outlier with, like, whatever his personal circumstances were with him breaking up with uh, his girlfriend and whatnot and whatever else went on for him in his personal life. But like, I think like he has very much showcased his ability to kind of overcome like most other players. Like he does work hard uh, to, to fit into systems. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, to, well, I think we kind of do know a little bit of how good device is going to be today because like he's still playing. It's, it's just face it, but dude, he's top fragging every face yes. game he plays at a super high elo. Like his skills have not fallen off. Like yeah, his he's mechanics are up- in question. No, yeah, like it's just, it's just kind of like, does he know the meta perfectly because he hasn't played it? But it's like, if there is anybody buddy, yes. in the entire scene you look at and you're like, could he come back after a meta shift? It's obviously device. You know, yes. it's it's like it's this guy is just the most like cerebral opera as opposed and to just it, being a high skill opera. Because it's like people credit Astralis as if that's what made device good, but that's not what it. That's not how it works at all. Like device yeah. is the like a big part of the reason that team was so good. Like if you don't have device making every round of five V four for them, like every other round, basically. Yeah. They were very good at converting those five V fours, but device was the one getting those picks and making that impact often more often than not for that team. Right. So anyway, to, to go off my rant back to NIP a bit, I think that whole, (laughs) that whole situation with, with res is, weird to me i think that um let's let's jump to the lxcb side of it let's jump well, to the well, I, I was okay. i was actually okay, gonna okay. tie okay. it in i was there gonna say go. it's it's weird to me in the sense that i think that res is a good rifler but also i think the way lxcb can actually form a system around 
that kind of player and be able to utilize Hampus probably better than Hampus utilized Hampus uh, <laughs> is yeah. like I think to me that that will probably bring about a like NIP needed more than one change to me and I think that this is kind of like an in between way to go about it in the scenario that obviously device doesn't come back so like instead of making two changes they essentially made a role change and a player change and I think nobody would disagree with the fact that Plopsy was the one who had to go here. So I would. I think. You, you, who do you think? Who do you think should have gone? Yeah, who do you think? I don't. Go? I really don't understand what the deal is with Hampus. I know he had some shining moments when he was trying to call around himself a few uh, T side strats, but like before before DGL came into the picture, dude, nobody had confidence in this guy. And so I re- I don't I don't get it. Like if you're not going to keep him for maybe you're keeping him for mid rounding or something. But I feel like this Plopsky move is just yet another case of this perennial conversation we have where it's like does the support player matter or should we just fucking remove him like after we put him into bitch roles? Like you guys remember maybe the Fnatic Golden situation where they moved him to entry off, out of IGL and we're like, "Oh, your stats suck. Bye." <laughs> like that was not the plan to begin with. It's like this shit kind of happens all the time where there's some sort of scapegoat now i think alexa is a great igl everybody may remember from this show where i was opining about how g2 removed him too early and how like this hooksy experiment is not going to work i of course look a little bit silly right now but just wait maybe this story has not been told yet but i will say about this alexa b move i think it's great and maybe he solves a lot of their problems but why wouldn't you just swap out igl for igl what value is Hampus going to continue adding versus keeping a supportive anchor bitch roll type player that Popsky has turned into? Yeah, maybe he's not been used very well, but if you're going to change who's using him, then maybe that shifts entirely. I don't know, man. I don't. I think people are out on him too early, and I think it's also one of those cases where, you know, to note's ta- point about recency bias regarding device, I feel like it's kind of similar. It's like people have just written this player off despite the many turbulent changes that have happened, and... I mean, I, the whole time, this entire way through, it was Hampus we were thinking was at least partially responsible for the situation in terms of having a say, in terms of calling the shots. Maybe not in terms of the players. He, I think he himself was on the record saying, yeah, we, we just have to deal with whatever roster NIP management tells us to deal with or whatever. There's a little bit of backtalk there. But as far as like what's happening in the server, he's the one responsible for that. I don't, I don't necessarily lay the blame at Plopsky to the same degree. I mean, like, I feel this is a bit revision, revisionist, though, because Hampus is still an excellent entry figure. Like, he can still easily fill that role for NIP, and he's also like, individually he's still very skilled so if he's focusing less on his own ability or sorry his, his calling for the team then i think he'll actually be able to be utilized yeah, a lot better uh, by Lexi. i'm kind of in between you both where i i would say that we just saw a problem with g2 where lexi b had to switch a lot of his spots to be the bitch rolls essentially while trying to call from those positions and then we saw this like this clash between him and G2 based off of like how they thought things should be run. Basically him and X-Tas, I suppose, yep. if, they, if you want to go with what's been said on record. Definitely then, not a bridge-shaped man. Definitely not. He has nothing it, to do it? with it. What is a bridge-shaped man? Bridge, is that Nico? Bread-shaped head, bread-shaped man, whatever. Bread is, that, is, that, is that Nico? No, yeah, well, I, 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 no, it's not Nico. He couldn't have been Nico, dude. Xtaz was not in any of the practices, or else he would have seen it was Nico, and he said as much. He said right. he was. He did not see it at all. So yeah, it couldn't be what? Nico. So so okay, I'll do kind of what we did for the last show, where I, I kind of want to overall rating and like final thoughts about it. So what do we? What do you guys think though of this move for NIP, and how would you grade it? Before obviously we haven't seen any matches yet, yeah. so you, you just have to base off of your assumptions with it. Pranogar, I feel like your grade is going to be the lowest here. What are you What are you giving it? 
I'll say like a I don't know like I I believe in the Alexi B move more than I disbelieve in the Plopsky remove. Yeah. So I'll still give it a somewhat positive. I don't know like a B or something. Like it's not. Oh really? It, it's wow. it's one that's, of those things. That's I thought you were gonna give yeah, it. Yeah. It's like I mean it could be C plus B minus B whatever like in that range because for me it's like it's very variant. It depends on the res thing, which I'm not positive or negative about. It's just like okay, well, like unfortunately for this org, it really couldn't be worse. Like whatever changes you're gonna make, you're probably going to end up with at least a honeymoon period or something that shows a little bit more promise because like people forget again the my point about plopsky being sort of like left in the doldrums so to speak in most people's minds with regards to the revision like the the recency bias thing is like to me it's like that's true for all of these players like so many of these players because the team's success has been not there at all many people have just written these people off as like oh nips just you know a trash from the roster to everything else to like it's just all gone like nobody even cares about it crab music plays and then it's like what i, I think you guys are overlooking a lot of the potential power on this roster like what note said about res being really really powerful it is a bit of a risk because he's now he's on op instead of rifle but it's it's still one of those things where it's like I, I mean, Rez, Brolin, like, just read off the names. Like, there's yeah, some yeah, legitimate yeah, the name people here. There's a lot of name value on this team, honestly. Um, okay, no, what are you going to give the, the the move? I'll give it a B plus. I mean, contrary to what Pernogo oh. said before, is I think that, like, removing Plopsky, I think, was still the right move over Hampus because if they'd kept him and added Alexi over Hampus, they would have had way too many supportive elements, I think. Because then you would have had Rez on the op and Esetag as a supportive element. Esetag's not taking over for Rez in his specific role. Like, I don't think that that would have really made sense anyway. So I think in terms of the way that the roles will balance out, in terms of like how uh, how many fraggers and how many support elements they have, it'll work out a little bit better. And I also think the kind of system that Alexi B brings will be more beneficial to this team than it would be something like G2. Like, G2 didn't need what Alexi had like that didn't work for those players in specific so I think for me this move without seeing anything I would give it a B plus but I still think that this team won't be like a consistent top three team like they would this won't help them beat by they're not gonna be elite yeah, they not, yeah be they're elite. not they're not an elite team off of this, okay sure. yeah yeah okay Okay, I, 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 what I want to, what I do when I imagine some of the roles and I think of who's going to play where and everything like that, I actually kind of like realize that this this move makes more sense than I thought yes. at first because it was one of those things where I started work, so I started working through like Mirage, for example, who's going to play where. Esetag is going to be B anchor. Brolin's been the A anchor for like his last like three years, and then you have Pat, which is going to be probably Hampus will take that over from Rez. Alexi B played connector back on OG actually, so he's just gonna go back there probably. And then Rez is gonna be the window opera. And then I think about it, it's like everybody's actually playing a spot they wanna play. Like that's not actually bad at all when I really think about it. The main the main thing for me is like, can't is is Hampus's like indiv individual antic kind of like kind of BS and but it's also kind of like a refined style for like versus art that sort of like gimmicky aggressive little shit that he would do I think that actually can work pretty well because him and Alexi and Brolin like it's just three different types of people that want to be active in the early round and they just kind of yes. will hopefully take turns on that and then you but I do think about like is this team clutch 
And that's where I think this team, weirdly, I think that's where this team is kind of weak, where I don't really know who's clutch on this team. That's where, the, that's like the yeah. spot Assetag has to fill, but I don't yeah. know if he can. I don't think he's that that's good. Where, that's bad. where it's a huge question mark, right? Yeah, he's not, he's not no Zip, he ain't Zipnix. He ain't, he ain't classic vintage Zipnix, I'll say that, you Dude. know, like he's okay. I but... mean, Zipnix isn't classic vintage Zipnix right now. So exactly. Like, Unless he's playing yeah. against Blue Jays in the round four of the RMR qualifier, then he can do a 1v4 and keep them in the then he could, Did he actually do that then? Yeah, that was the only time he's clutched in a while. He <laughs> did oh, okay. a 1v4, sure. otherwise Blue Jays would have gotten Astralis' number, and then they wouldn't be at this major, so. Oh my god. Earned a that tiny little piece of his contract money there. Yeah. That's the saddest thing I've ever, that's really sad to hear. <laughs> By okay. the way, all the all the Esetag hate yeah. on this on this episode, it, it, we used to have a man who would balance this out. Unfortunately, he's sick right now, but just <laughs> just because true. he's not here, I'll say shout out Esetag. Mix said <laughs> shout out Esetag, so. Okay, sure. Um, all right, so. Let's talk. Okay, so so that's that's kind of rounds up the things I wanted to talk about Group A. But we, let's do like quick little stuff for for I, some of the other teams here. I'm surprised like, you wanted to skip over Fnatic. Like, yeah, no, I want to do something with Fnatic, but like I don't want to. I don't have too much. But like, okay, what do you guys want to say about Fnatic? Because I, I I have some stuff. I was, but what's what's been on your mind with this team? Do you guys like the new outlook of it, the calling style, or do you want me to just take it? Because I got like a 60 second spiel about this team i i just wanted to give them the nod because they had a really good performance i just don't know how long that'll last after this like to me yeah. a lot of the stuff they were doing was stuff that you get caught out by by a team that you don't really have tape on like the yeah. way they were playing the ultra aggro style that they were playing in certain rounds especially on overpass like even the, ancient the, even ancient, yeah honestly. even ancient like yeah. exactly yeah they're the way they were re-aggressing areas like i think the teams that start defaulting versus them a little bit more are gonna just shit on them over time like if that if this is their style and this is what they rely on it's not gonna work in the long run but if that specifically if they're tailoring this to to teams as they go then i see more potential in them it's just the fact that i think as a overall team they have a lot of potential but it as a style as to what they're employing i don't know if it'll work long term for them yep I would have yeah. to agree. This we see this pattern play out many, many times just throughout CS's history. Is that there will be this sort of like new blood injection into it? Maybe an maybe a big org like Fnatic, but either way, it's like this team sort of of hot prospects bursts onto the scene. They have some structure with them. They have some you know sort of general understanding of how they want to play, and they have their own aggressive style. But because of the fact that they're so new, there's been no tape on them. There's no chance to anti-strat the more established teams are there for the taking because this team can anti-strat them right and so that's what i kind of think about the fanatic roster it's impressive I'm glad to see that this sort of like it felt very kind of scrap cobbled together in a sense where yeah there's some sort of past synergies obviously like roy and Nikodaz and stuff but it's like for me it's just i look at this roster i'm like man is this a this is a lineup like what, what's going on here and it's just like a weird one to see especially a weird one to see having so much success and uh, even taking navi close you know so that was what one of those things that was pretty heartening to see and obviously exciting but it's i think flash in the pan is a good way to describe this roster as far as like i don't think their longevity is going to stick around well i i said this i I'll, the statement that i had after watching literally one map of them at pro league and then i also saw some of their rmr games to prep for this event was that i think this team actually is is like kind of there were yeah sure there's like re-aggression and stuff like that that they do that feels a little gimmicky but i i'm glad that they just they have plans yes. for a lot of stages of yes. the round and i also like that they can slow a round down a lot and sort of break it down i don't think they're breaking down rounds at an elite level yet or anything like that but i mean that's like such a that's such a hard ask 
But I, I think that uh, the, the, the exact phrase I said is that I think within, I think, two months, they were going to be a top 15 team. And when I said that, they were like 27th. And now they're already, after their group, they, they reach 18th. So I'm going to kind of stick to that. Like, I think this team is probably going to hit, like, unless they just have a horrible, horrible RMR, they're, they're going to definitely hit top 15 for me. And they're probably just going to hover around there because you, you look at the players on this and you, you actually have some pretty good talent. Like, can never really count Crims out. Uh, Mezzi's a developing IGL, and with and and then obviously Nikodaz and Roy are, are pretty good too. And Fasher, I think Fasher is kind of like a weird weird player for this team for me. But he actually played pretty well at Pro League, so I can't, I'm not like I don't want to make any bad judgments on him just yet. It's just that I guess I was focusing on a lot of the other players a lot more at this. So I think this team is probably one that is gonna pass like you know, a spirit in the rankings or something like that. I, I'm a little bit higher on this team than them. But when I even look at just every other team in the top 15, I don't think there's many that they should be too much better than other than ones that are kind of there because of like, like Movistar is obviously like not really a top 10 team anymore. Like that, that they're, they're going to fall. Without, especially without Sunfires. Yeah. So that, that that's like a random, that's a team that they're going to pass up. They might pass up, uh, like a mouse or something like that, but you know they're they're not. I, I could see them moving up a few slots. That's about it. I, like, I think top fifteen is a pretty. I would almost say even not generous, but like too lean. Like they, I'd say they'd stick between ten and fifteen. Even I don't know if oh, they'll make it quite to the top five. Like that's no, that's a little too no, ambitious. Not not top, but five. but like past there, they'd probably hover between five and like I would even say like five and twelve. They could mm. hover between like pretty consistently. Um, Damn, five me, is really high for. I don't think they're gonna get five. I don't think. I think even five. I think five would be like their peak, like absolute okay. peak. Like they could hit that off of a streak of like very good results. Jeez, that I don't sounds like when I say they could be top five. <laughs> I mean, everybody needs their occasional copium. <laughs> okay, I'm all right, to, that's I'm yours. Here to, You're high on I'm that. I'm here to account for the missing mix because obviously he would big up Mezzi as like the best player in the world or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, true, true. But I think for me, this team's peak will live and die by how much they can get out of Nikados because mm. I think Roy pretty consistently performs. Mezzi is also like, yes, he's developing IGL, but his like performance isn't really that bad at all. And then obviously you have Crims who like plays quite well usually. Yeah, so I think consistent, I'd say. So I think for me, their peak will depend on how much they can get a Nikodos. Because right now he's kind of up and down. Like some some matches he's playing really well, other matches he's negative, other matches he's like kind of okay. And like as their opera, they he kind of needs to hit like a much higher level if they want to kind of make it past the level that they're at right now and consistently beat some good teams. So if they get more out of him, yes, I can see them peak around, like, I don't think they'll quite make the top five, but maybe they'll hit, like, number six at okay. their peak. But, like, I, I, that would have to have, like, a very good performance from Nikodos consistently to actually get there and stay around there. But, yeah, somewhere between six and, and 15, I would say that they're, that's kind of, like, the range they'll hover around. I think that's fair. I, for this in, other, in other words, in other words, I don't see them ever making it a top five with this roster. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, the other, I, I don't really want to talk that much about the other teams in the group that much. I've said on Snake and Banter that I really hate the Spirit team. Like, I just hate watching them. I think they suck. I think they're boring. I think Patsy's fun to watch. If you, if I just watch Patsy POVs, I think I'd have a good time. But if I watch the actual team, I'm kind of like, get me out of here. 
Um, so uh, endpoint, I like. There's to, to, other than that fluky win versus Navi, they lost to everybody. So it's so hard to actually think this team is credible right now. But they're replacing Crucial, and I think that's actually they needed to do something. Personally, I would have removed Surreal before Crucial, but I think that I, I don't know why. Maybe they want to keep it like British, you know. So, I think some of the, don't some of these players have like equity within the org yes. or something. So it, well, it's it's like a it's like a contract deal that basically when th- it, this this is why it's really weird, honestly, to like talk about endpoint because it, endpoints endpoint has kind of like a weird and ever okay, I guess we'll talk about like conflict of interest later. But I guess like what what's kind of happening with with the like competitive integrity of endpoint is that they're actually like always gonna prop up their their young gun player because yeah. they want to sell that player yeah. from their team. So like this is something that is so strange and I feel like at every everybody's kind of like not really always diving deep into this, but kind of like the thing is like why would you why would anybody really go after endpoint? But it is a strange idea that the that crucial Surreal and Mighty Max all make money when a player on their team gets sold. So it's in their best interest, financially speaking, to actually just throw a shitload of flashes for for nerds every round and then just try to set him up for everything. And what like they're just doing that. They're just like helping these guys out like so tremendously. They're giving him boosts. They're making sure he always has the weapon on save rounds. They're always like because they want his stats to be propped up. So when yep. they sell him, everybody gets a big cut of it. Like Aiden's that's just. So it's kind of like a weird way to play Counter-Strike where at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure they're trying to win. But like a side goal for like a little side quest every game is make sure Nerds has 85 ADR. Like that's kind of a that's just strange. That's just strange. And I think I think there maybe is like if you look really closely at Endpoint, you might start to see that they're actually just trying to help Nerds and or Kerby a little bit more than another team would where they're trying to have a more balanced approach. So. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't think like, like again, like you see, this is why it's like, like, is that is that a conflict of interest, Pernogo? Is that a conflict of interest to you? I mean, it's not in the best. It's not always in their best interest to try to win every single match that they play, which is probably the biggest issue. If they are instead better respected or better rewarded for like this long game of propping up players so that they can be sold. But I don't know at the same time if that's like punishable necessarily because the only people I mean, I guess if you're aware of that, if that is actually what's happening, right, because we don't really know how the players are are treating it or whatever. But if if endpoint players are deliberately prioritizing stats for their potentially sold superstar player over their cash cow player over winning then for betting, that's not good because if you bet on endpoint, then what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like uh, if, if you're betting on them to win and then they're not trying to win as much as they're trying to prop up their player, like if that if that is there, then yes, I think by definition, it has to be some sort of conflict uh, of interest there. But the question is also yeah. like, is that something that you can really safeguard against? I mean... No, you can't. You can't. You like, can't have not. there ever been cases where there's been like a, a reasonable... If we just think about this theory crafting a method in order to protect a, the game against situations where you deliberately don't try to win as much as you try to do some other thing in the game for stats or whatever. I don't think you can really come up with a system that works there. 
Like, at least I can. I mean, obviously, it's off the cuff, and this is a very advanced and potentially nuanced thing that might not even really be happening. Because, And even if it was, you'd never be able to prove it unless the players admitted to it or whatever. So it's not something that we can really, like, think of super, like, concretely. But to me, it's like, oh, clearly they're saving too much. Well, how do you know that that's because they're trying to, like, you know, pad, pad stats for this guy? How do you know that's the case or whatever? And I guess the only solution to this would be if more teams cared more about individuals uh, or team success than individual success when judging how a, spe a specific pickup might affect their roster. And as a result, Endpoint never really got to sell anybody unless they were also winning. And then their in interests would be aligned. But CS usually is about winning more than it is about like your stats or whatever, like... I think maybe there are cases in the tier two level or whatever where somebody's like, holy shit, look at this outlier. But I don't know. It depends so, on how heavily that's actually governed. You know what I mean? So like so how heavily is that a, a, a motivating factor for somebody to pick you up? And so, so here, so here, I want to, I want to throw this out there and it's kind of like, I don't know how much I want to unpack or like dive deep into this, this endpoint rabbit hole of like them getting paid to have players that are, they're going to sell or whatever. But think about the fact that they just dropped Crucial, who in the last few months has better stats than Surreal by a pretty significant margin, better than Mighty Max by a significant margin. But who? what kind of players do you think are very easy to sell in an open market? Oppers. You're not selling Crucial because he's a guy that actually gets money. I mean, like, like, that, like resources from the team are yeah. dedicated towards him to succeed. But what are they going to do? They're probably going to get this young, like, FPL Opper now, and then he's going to be also on the marketplace. So, like, this is what... I, I don't... I don't want to like dive in on endpoint. Honestly, I don't think that this is like a malicious team. No, it's just means. that their org is generally not there to succeed. That's not their bread yeah. and butter. They're not here right. for excellence. They're here for like a flip team they're, or something. They're like, like the Copenhagen Flames. Exactly. I they're, mean, I also don't think their org is going and telling them like, "Oh, only make the opera stats look good." Like that's not a <laughs> thing. <laughs> Come on. Surely but they, not. but they, but they make, but they make money by selling that. But the the, the players make money by selling their pl other players. So like, I'm I mean, just, yes, but I yeah. don't think that's a that's not like the front loaded like effort for them. Like they're not going and be like, we're gonna make Mertz's stats like good regardless Mertz's. of how shit <laughs> yeah. we do. This yeah. is like, is it gonna be no, Mertz? No Are they getting Mertz? No, the... I have no idea. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. I have no oh. idea what they're getting. It's just like I, I'm oh, okay. saying, like they're not going to be like we're going to make this player's stats look good based on like we can get more money out of him than we can get out of Crucial. Like, they better just, not like, get no Mertz. Come on, dude. Mertz and Nerds. No, I, I, I meant no, no, no. I didn't mean to say Mertz. I like I have no idea what they're getting. <laughs> no, so, I like, know. I'm just general, saying if they did, could you imagine? It's just like <laughs> it's just like there's no way that that's how they're focusing their priority. Like, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. No hope way so. as a team. There's no way. I just don't think that that's a thing. Like, there's no way the players on the team are like, this is what we're going to do over, like, trying to improve our results as a team. And, like... like <laughs> it's such a ridiculous <laughs> angle. There's no way. It's such a ridiculous no, dude, come angle. On. It's just unreasonable. They all get okay. they all get together over past CT's side, and, and Mighty Max sits him down and says, Oi, mate. Just, <laughs> You're going to have great you. fucking stats right now. You're going to have the best stats in the whole fucking universe. And then you're gonna get us a lot of money. That's what he's gonna say. That's that's uh, is he like that? Yeah, I think that's exactly how Mighty Max actually approaches his uh, his IGL speeches prior prior to matches. Dude, yeah, come uh, on, just think of the stats. Yeah, think of the stats. Yeah, yeah. and he said that the coach is all there. Like, and if you bait him in this situation, this is how he's gonna get the most multi. -cuts. It's just yeah. Um, let's talk about HLTV stats and how you actually get the most bang for your buck. Um, <laughs> okay, I declined to comment based <laughs> yeah. on my Canadian rates. <laughs> 
Let's okay. Let's move on to Group B. Let's move on to Group B. We did a really thorough job on A there. Um, the so I really only want to talk about just a couple teams here. I'll just say out, up front. Let's just get these guys out of the way. MIBR FTW. Um, I have nothing to say about FTW. This team was very like when I said Spirit was bad to watch. And FTW is literally like you're just wasting everybody's time by being here. Like and that's not because you had Sedoto in your fantasy team, right? He was griefing it very hard, but I also think that this team was really painful to watch because Stadoto sucked, and it's just like I thought Stadoto was the reason Saul was decent. You know, like what, what's going on? Agreed. There? Yeah. yeah, I would have said the same thing. I mean, you guys remember yeah. the heartbreaking James? Like everybody calls it like the pixel perfect clutch or whatever, but it's not really. It's just it wasn't actually. They could have done many things before that moment to get to qualify for the major. But yeah. if you guys remember the the that uh, RMR, oh, that was, was like, the most memorable thing of yeah. the whole RMR. Yeah, last, exactly. Last RMR, yeah. So that's exactly what I'm thinking too, and. So so like, yeah, of course, oh, Stadoto, a tortured hero. What is he going to do next? He is going to go 0-6, baby. Or he's going to bot frag. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to bot frag for a, a team that I don't know any of the other players on. So, yeah. I, I actually didn't know KST, to be frank. Uh, he was on the Fnatic Academy team. But, like, again, I'm not going to talk about this team. MIBR, we could also, let's just knock this one out really quick. MIBR... to me, just still so rough around the edges. Uh, I, I'd say that this team has actually upgraded in firepower. Like, Henny can have some yes. moments here and there, and Biarenazan, BR, like, that guy, Ow. is actually a pretty legit rifler, and he's a good... Actually, he's a good hybrid. Like, that guy that guy can be something in a while. I, I would probably give him, like, six months, and I, I bet you that he's going to be probably their highest-rated player, unless it's Henny. Like, those two, I think, are going to go back and forth with it. Uh, and then I I agree, but I think I think MIBR's biggest mistake this whole year will be letting Woody go. See, like that's what I was gonna get to. That Jota is just such an inferior IGL. Like yes. they are calling is so bad now. Like they cannot mid round to save their lives. They could be up five v four, five v three. I have no confidence that they're gonna make a good sound decision. It's just like he's he's still like. They're going to have to help him a lot. Like, Bit is going to have to, like, hold his hand through a lot of these games and be like, here's how you should have called. Here's this, whatever. And they might have just straight up picked a guy that's just not cut out for IGLing, honestly. That just might I be think, the fate of the team. I think this team with Turtle, Henny, Biranazen, Bit, Woody, and, like, any other player would actually have way better results than this current iteration of the roster does. Like, I don't know why they decided to get rid of Woody and make cello IGL and then sell cello. Like it, it's such a weird, like yeah, disaster of decisions for them. And it, it from end to end, it doesn't make sense to me. Cause I think Woody would have been able to utilize players like Henny way better. Oh yeah. And, and it's just like, well, it's just the way I, that the cookie crumbled, this right? team. It's like well, well, I mean they chose they, they chose to bench Woody and make yeah, they, IGL though. Yes, yeah, but they, they, I don't think the they foresaw they a cello them. getting an Imperial offer, is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if they could have known that or if that was in the pipe. If that yeah, was gonna cello, be like Cello could have yes. developed to be a better IGL than Jota, because yeah. Jota right now is so bad at it. But like Cello, you know, just because of his experience, I, I just give him the benefit of doubt that I think like he could have probably got it within a couple months, you know, while kind of fixing rolls up and things like just using his experience to make yeah. more solid decisions. Yeah, okay. Let's let's just move on then. Let, but that's enough on those those two teams. Um so can I just say, one, can we have yeah, like what? some sort of rule at some point in the future that if you name yourself something that looks like 
I don't know, for example, uh, Burzen, that you don't have to like invent new syllables for English speakers in order for you them to say your name. Can we just like, can we maybe think about that in the future? Because I, every single time I was, I was watching a Harry and Hugo cast and I love those guys, but every single time they had to pause before saying his name so that they could make sure that they remembered exactly how to say his name. <laughs> it was every time, to, man. I feel I also bad had to for check them. check myself every time Hugo said the name because yeah. he like added an extra syllable or something. It's like, it's like, <laughs> Yeah. Br- Brennazen or something, and he was like, Brennazen. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. That's one more syllable than you. Yeah, need but like, what are you supposed to do? It's impossible. Just call him Brazen and move on, dude. That's his name now. Brazen. I'm, I refuse. So, so, I'm Zywu so we and Brazen. So we were told that at Blast, at Blast Fall, when I was like first like covering MIBR with B. R. A. Anazan. They said that's how you say it, where you pronounce every first letter and you do it in the Portuguese style of pronunciation. So yeah. I think it's B, ere, N-A, and then you just say Zan. And so, and then we, we like really confirmed this with them. That's why I started saying it like that. And I think a few people picked it up. Like I think, I think Anders started doing it, Moses started doing it, a few people, whatever. Then when he started playing an ESL event, Sponge was just like, I'm going to take the white man's approach here and I'm just going to say his first name and that's Breno. So he just started saying Breno. That's and legit. That's kind of like, yeah. And, and like, you could probably do that, but it's also like not reading his name. Like you're not going to say <laughs> Dan for apex every time. Dan is coming up the ramp. It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, like, the French have some nice it. names though. If you could just say Mr. Mattisclair or whatever, like Mon- yeah. Monsieur Mattisclair. There you go. That would be see. That would be a little bit of flair to it, yeah. but uh, maybe on like a clutch, you do something like that. Well, do you like, remember when? Do you remember time. when it was it was like Fnatic against Liquid way back, and it was Twists against Twist. And oh yeah, uh, that's the, rough. they they did uh they did the first name thing, and I just remember Twist going off, Twists going off, and uh, Saticus going Russell with the clutch, and it was like, all right, well <laughs> that worked. I he mean, made it I work. feel like Twist is like one of the few players whose names are just as cool as fuck enough yeah. to like be yeah. able to play off it at any time. Like the magnificent Val- Van Delco. Yeah, like, yeah, kind of sick. Like that is yeah. sick. You can yeah. do a lot off of that. It, he does have a he does have a sick ass name like top to bottom or first it's, yeah <laughs> it's like when people I, are confused I, about jks like dude your last name is savage bro you could have been any I, you, you could have been so many other things instead of jks yeah it's <laughs> kind of boring name but yeah okay my point with hugo like instead of saying brnzenzen he instead of saying brnzen he was like brnzen and i'm like this is very well too much very, it's too very much. well could have been i think harry was actually saying it exactly how he almost exactly how he's supposed to like I'm not going to no, say No, that's why it was myself. so weird, because Harry was fine, but Hugo would add an extra syllable. <laughs> <laughs> just, just British things. Just British things. Just British uh, things. Okay. Okay, let's... on to your favorite team, Big, obviously. Okay, sure, sure. Let's just, let's just go on to them. Um, Big right now is a team that just, like, they really are, they can be really competitive against, against good teams, but they also are, they've lost... I tweeted this out when I was watching like the final day of games and I've, you know, when watching them throughout the group and stuff like that, like they, they really still have a ways to go because Tizian definitely gave them something in terms of mid rounding, in terms of cohesion, where right now the way I, I don't think I ever even described it like this on the desk, but the way I would, I would equate this move from big is that they, they finally took off the training wheels. Like you're, when you're riding, obviously when you're learning to ride a bike, you obviously have them on, you're like slower, but you're never going to fall. Like, but your, your speed is very much capped 
because you're not going to be able to take turns that sharp or anything like that. But now that the training wheels are off, I think they're kind of like falling a little bit. Like they're, they're just not really like that comfortable riding the bike just yet. But I think that the peak of this team, this like the possible peak and ceiling of this team is higher than it was with Tizzy. Like Keto is just a better fragger. Like I already saw many rounds where it's just like, okay, Keto just got like a 3K that, that Tizian never, ever, ever would have done. Like Tizian was good for like weirdly the one map per 12 where he would just have 26 kills but like keto can go can basically range from like right now unfortunately kind of like 14 kills to like 24 kills like and you don't really know what you're getting yet because he hasn't found that consistency and they switched crimbo spots a lot like they switched up almost all of crimbo spots and for, for some reason they did this like weird swap between like Favin, crimbo and um was it uh, Favin, crimbo and keto where all three of them are kind of like not in the same spots they were all in before, and they kind of like are mixing and matching stuff because you can't move Surf's in, he's the opera, and Tabson just gets all of his spots because like he's actually just the best player on the team, so he should get his spots. And then the other three are kind of figuring out stuff, and you can tell in defaults that they're sometimes just bad, like they don't know what they should do yet. And then also when I watch them play sometimes like a 4v3 advantage, there's just one hole on the map, and it's like okay, you guys just didn't know that was there for your opponents, and that stuff is really frustrating because with Tizian, they would have known, actually, but Tizian won't get a kill, but he'll make sure that the hole is plugged. Searson line, homie. Yeah, that's okay. Let's yeah talk about that. I mean, just, yeah, just look at line. it. His only positive yeah. performances were against FTW and MIBR, who we just talked about as the losers of the group who were bottom of the table. Yeah, yeah. So he went uh, like 0.8 uh, against outsiders, I think. And like, you know, obviously this is just stats, but when it's your opera, when it's at the tier one or we're against these, about. you know, tier 1.5 teams or whatever, like whatever outsiders is right now, which I think was a pleasant surprise for the, for the group. Uh, not for big, of course, uh, not for big, but you know, the fact that he was still uh, not not able to, you know, I made this point about heroic the other episode where I was talking about how I felt like maybe they haven't really escaped the, it's not necessarily the onliner status, but it's like the maybe not proven at land, not, not proven at the highest echelon, uh, bigger, like a step behind them where they're in studio, there's less pressure theoretically. And at least for Searson specifically, he hasn't been able to really channel that. I feel like, um, I don't know what his, what's missing with him. It just feels like he doesn't like, he goes to the same spots for the most part. Maybe he's a little bit more passive or whatever, but he goes to the same spots um, and he just doesn't hit the shots. I don't know. Like, that's been my observation, which seems really simple. That's not really you know? that far off from uh, yeah. what I've looked at, too. So I, it, if, it almost feels like Sersen is just like, like, he just absorbs whatever the growing pain is of the team to the nth degree, where it's like, yeah. oh, these these things between Crimbo, Keto, and Favin, like, these are where the problem should be on the team. But for some reason, Sersen's performance dips too. And it's like, why? Why are why are you worse now? Like, you shouldn't be any worse. But I, I posted the stats on Twitter too. Like, his stats, I think, online for this year have been like 1.22, and his land stats have been 1.09. So he's not like a bot on land or anything like that. It's just that you're a completely different team. He's a different, it's more like he's a different, completely different player online versus land. So it's just, you're you're just you are kind of also you're just kind of capped if if that's what your your opera is going to be because like I, I think most of us would rate Sersen better than like Hades for example or like I I want to mm. say wait, 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 who would you put it would you put Hades really? actually I would say Hades is on par at the very least I mean again no. we're talking about lands no, land no I can't no do way. no no Sersen's way better Sersen's I don't know about definitely. that man I think on the big games they're about the same. Big games. No, I thought Hades is like a pretty good bar. Like he's not he's better than Hades, but not like 
Just, it's not substantially worse than Hades either. Like, I'd that, say like that's Hades probably the on best land. kind of player to compare him to. Hey, Hades say. on land is like a six out of ten, and Cersei on land is just a seven out of ten. Yeah, that's exactly. It's just a little. He's just a notch above, but like he's yes. still not like he didn't look online. like it in this event. At the very he's least. not. He's not even. A know, de- he, like he's not a dexter. He's not a simple. Like, obviously not a simple. But like, like, it's like well, Hades it's like Cersei on line. Cersei online is almost simple. Like, no joke, he's legit, like, that good. He's insane. He's insane online, but on land, he's just, like... He's almost S-Attack. <laughs> no, he's better than s <laughs> He's better than S-Attack. <laughs> I know, I had to get that one in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I mean, like, I, I think, you know, you differ from us, Pernogo, but, like, hopefully not by, like, too no, much. No, no, like, like I said, yeah, I think you if you're going to say 6 out of 10 versus 7 out of 10, I'm just saying they're both 6.5 or something, you know what I mean? Like, it's not sure. really that different. Sure. You just split the difference. Okay. There. Yeah, okay. Uh, I just I yeah. just wasn't super impressed by Big during this group stage. Yep. Like, it wasn't mega disappointing, but, like, the fact that they couldn't even take a map off of, like, the big three teams in the group was like, okay, all right, this is yeah. way less than what I expected of you. I expected that at least a map win between B, like between playing Phase G two and uh, Outsiders and Outsiders. Yeah, exactly. Like I expected at least one map win between those three series, but they didn't even get one. Like I think they had overtime versus Phase. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, against G two in in G two on two maps, they were yes, they went to overtime. Actually, yeah, exactly. Were. But but I expected at least like one map one between those three series. Well, they were up like, like fifteen to nine against G two. Also, I know. So like they yeah, should the they should have just won. Them. Yeah, they should have. Yeah, that's that was it's, kind of like, that was probably the most disappointing map loss for them. Yes, at fifteen eight, it's, fifteen eight actually just checked. Yeah. Yeah. So to to me, their performance here was just a disappointment compared to like wh- like I would have always expected them to beat FTW and MIBR. Yeah, but to not even have like a half like sure they took G two to overtime, but to not I would still consider that not a half decent performance from no the no yeah this like was, their caliber. There's there this was disappointing for Big, and that's why like I I actually went on uh what Alan caught in the crossfire with Alan Hender and Dark Mike, and I talked about this briefly like where we thought Big's ceiling was for this season. So let's talk about like till the end of the year. What ranking do you think Big's going to hit? And this is where people might be surprised with my answer because it's kind of low. But what do you guys? What have you guys got for Big? Wait, like their peak? Yeah, their peak ra- ranking on HLTV by December thirty first. Well, that's weird. You mean by peak? You mean the highest they've been all year, or do you mean no, where no, no, they no. are? They've already, been, they've already been seventh like yeah. a month ago or whatever. But like, where? What do you think from this point forward? So right now, for example, they're thirteenth in the world. Where do you think, what do you think the best number they will hit will be by the end of the year? Oh, I see. I see. I'll say 10th. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd say like 10th. Honestly, between the number of teams they have above them right now, I actually think like they might not even move from where they are right now. So I would even say like 12th. They're like the highest they can be. They're 13th now. I know. Dude, what? Yeah. You don't think they can win like a game? <laughs> Just saying. Oh wow, that's really really low. I I mean, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna basically say tenth also though. Like I I don't think there's a lot in the calendar for them to do very well at. Like they to basically be fair, there is Mouse and Movie Star ahead of them. So actually, okay. maybe I will say tenth. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. They, I... they will move past those two teams at least. Okay, if I'm like being as optimistic as I can be, like. 
eight. Like eight is the best, and it's basically they have to have a baller RMR. They have to ball out at that one. That one. I'm so like, glad I brought out the copium by moving my but, prediction. But but I think but I really think it's more like if I'm being truly honest, I look at the calendar and I think like what are they going to play? RMR. They might get to the challenger stage. I don't think right now that they're getting out of the challenger stage. I think they're like way they're little they're way too rocky. Um, and and Cer- like unless Cersei just ascends, which is just like something we have talked about now for a year, so it just doesn't yeah. seem like it's happening. So it's like. So it's, it has to almost be like Keto or Crimbo need to ascend, you know, like Safavin needs to, Favin actually, I think had a pretty good pro league, right? Like he was doing pretty well. So maybe Favin is like, Favin and Tabson are like their two consistent riflers. And then Crimbo catches up to speed because he, because Crimbo's learning his spot. So he's going to play better at, at the RMR than he did at, at pro league. I'll say that for sure. But I, I, it's just tough to see them really breaking deep into the top 10. I'm like, like, I, I liked my prediction before. Because I knew the strength of teams, but like, I think the top is very strong right now. I think the top five teams in the world are very good, and I think they are a two. They're probably two levels ahead of big, if I'm being honest. So, yeah, um, let's talk. Let's talk about some of the favorites in this group. Let's talk about. Uh, um, let's do G two. Let's do G G two first. Um, this they they went flawless. They actually didn't even drop a map. Um, I, I'm a I'm a hooksy believer. I'm I'm a big hooksy believer now. I think this team is like this team to me. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I want to see them go deep. But I would. I I'm wanting to stamp that elite label on them faster than I did with Vitality. Like this team is freaking sick, and they have three stars. They have three insanely good players. Whereas Vitality, I only think I only look at them and I see two. I see Zywu and Sphinx. With with G2, I see Hunter, Nico and Monacy. I think those yes. are like insanely insanely strong trio and I am I think that right now in my mental rankings I put them ahead of Vitality by a slot. Yes, so. I agree with that. I'm surprised you guys are so I... quick to to jump on G2 here. I know they went so, 5-0, but so I'll explain the reasoning. It's that when I originally saw this team play, I think I was very disappointed in Hooksy's individual output, and I thought that like this team couldn't really perform without him stepping up. But A, to his credit, he's played a lot better in EPL than he did during Blast. Like, I mean, that's a very low bar to set, too, but I like... <laughs> yeah. He, he could have done anything here and he would have He been literally could have done anything and played better. But yeah. to his credit, he actually, like, wasn't awful during EPL. Like he wasn't even like the lowest rated player in some of these matches. No. Um, yeah. So I think in general he did play a lot better in these in these games. But for me, the crucial factor is that he's getting way more out of Monacy. I even tweeted it. Is that yeah. yes, Monacy's had a lot more experience now, but you can't really deny the fact that Hoopsie's definitely having like his system is having impact on how well Monacy's able to play. And Nico even mentioned in a post-game interview where he said something along the lines of um, Hoopsie's system is essentially like um, like he's letting people make the decisions on their own uh, when it's important. So like he's giving, it's not just modesty he's giving the freedom to. It's obviously like Nico, Hunter, JKS, like the, they have very experienced players on the roster and being able to have the freedom for players like Nico and Hunter and JKS to make those mid-round decisions and kind of take the take situations into their own hands, that's very clearly benefiting this team already. And like to their credit, yes, obviously, uh, Monacy's individual results and, and 
showing have gotten a lot better, but also Nico and Hunter have very consistently been performing, especially Nico has had like quite the rebound with this team in terms of his own individual performance so far. And I think yeah. like for for me that's that's Hooksy obviously he can't go like two and nineteen in games, but if he's getting like twelve to fifteen frags, like that's relatively okay if you have Hunter, Nico, Monacy, and then like JKS like all contributing on their own. Like he doesn't have to be a mess massive fragger, but he can't be getting two kills like he was at last. So the fact that he stepped it up a little bit is enough for me to be like, okay, this team actually does have what it takes. He can't be dead weight, and he hasn't been, at least at EPL. Right. My question for G2 in general, or about G2, is how much better can they get than what they've already shown us? Because, again, I don't really put a huge amount of stock in, like, group stage games and stuff. Uh, obviously, they should have qualified, and they did, and they did so flawlessly, and to that extent, they beat everybody that was put up against them, right? And it was very impressive. But I will say, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a kind of of two minds of this. Obviously, I was very much against the Hooksy move entirely, and I was, didn't think that it was going to work out at all. And so far, I've been the one who looks silly as opposed to G2 and the whole organization and stuff. So it's interesting to see that. I saw a comment in the Twitch chat earlier about how Hooksy's sort of like running it like the old Fnatic roster where he's just a loose collar and he's not really caring too much about frags. Um, and, and in that sense, I don't want the same thing that happened with Pronax to a lot of people to happen to Hooksy. If it is actually true that Hooksy's doing loose calling and it is basically Nico go kill, Manasi go kill, etc. Um, you know, like it can't just be that he must be bringing something else to the table to activate these players. So hopefully there's not too much credit that just goes missing because now there's this narrative building that because he's bringing a loose structure, a looser style, uh, less micromanagement, less calling that Alexi B it's so much better as a system and it works really well for them because that is basically saying like, well, then the, the, the superstars are the ones calling the shots to some degree of like knowing when to go and making their own individual decisions. Where do you even put the responsibility on the IGL in that sense? I don't want people to like not give him sufficient credit basically for what is he's going to be able to accomplish. But I also don't really know if something like that is any different ultimately in terms of how you would anti-strat it. Like you, you're relying on the, the, we talk about bit and how maybe he's not super creative or he's not allowed to be super creative with blade making all the strategies very specific. Maybe there's the same sort of shades of that going on here where it's like, if the, if the superstars themselves are the ones who are making the decisions, who are changing up where their spots are or making, uh, figuring out when to go aggressive, Maybe you can anti-strat that. Maybe you can get in their head specifically. And maybe it stops becoming possible for there to be a Kerrigan-like reversal partway through the match where your stars have been figured out and read, and now you have nothing to fall back on. Like, I don't know how much Hooksies will be able to do that. And so that's my next question is like, is this their ceiling? Are they near their ceiling at all right now? And if so, would this be actually enough to significantly and consistently defeat the top teams? Uh, or is the do we need to see way more from them in terms of them being an elite level roster? And th that's sort of where I'm at right now. I'm still very interested to see how this story unfolds. It, it come it, the the I think it, there will be more answers once the playoffs of Pro League commence because it's I'll just like we could touch in on phase a little bit here too. But I think phase kind of we're going into this group stage with pretty low preparation and just yep. kind of like coasting and thinking yeah. that they're just going to make it. And I will say that G2 were playing the best CS I've seen G2 play this entire year. 
yes. pretty easily too. Yes. Like they were playing incredibly well off of each other. Their openings were good. They were clutch. Like every mid round felt like they were just do ironing out every little like way to get space in the perfect way possible. It was incredibly satisfying to watch. Like especially when they beat Phase, I was like, wow, they. They just pulled off some insane retake. They pulled out. They like making sure that everything looks so squeaky clean. I was I was loving every G two game that I was watching in this group. Um, but I will say like that's that's with like like I the the contrast here is you kind of look at these two groups right now and you saw that Vitality had a lot to prove. G two had a lot to prove. They both five would their groups. They like came in super hot in them and they like for for good reason. But then you saw Navi and FaZe both underperform or like do a little bit worse than you would have thought. Like yep. FaZe lost a map to MIBR. They lost they kind of they, you know, they they lost the series to G2 and they didn't they were never like really, really in it either. There were sometimes when the scoreline was close in the beginning of, of maps, but like G2 generally ran away with those maps pretty pretty uh considerably. So so like they I don't really think like either Navi or FaZe were like at the level that we can expect for them in playoffs when they know they need to ramp up for that event and then subsequently the RMR. That's when everybody's going to be like, we need to all peak Peaking, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, think, Navi and FaZe didn't look like the, the S-tier teams that we've seen them, which is no, the No, they point. definitely and, didn't. And then in that sense, it's like, if G2 is defeating them now, okay, that's a good sign, good start, but they need to go more. You know, they need to do it one step further. To yeah. that point, though, like, for, for me, the way I am looking at G2 is that I have to see them, again, like we were talking about with Vitality, but even to a to a larger degree with this team, at least. We've already seen Hootsie struggle a little bit with the pressure in the early matches, I think. It wasn't just his individual form. Like, I think stepping into this team, playing with Nico, playing with Hunter, playing on a team like G2, like, yes, there is definitely a lot of shaky shilling from, uh, from Hootsie in those first matches. I think when we hit like a stage and we're going to get into an audience format, we don't really know how Hootsie's going to like fare when there's a whole crowd yelling and he's trying to lead this team to success. And I think that will affect this team a little bit more than it will affect a team like yeah, Vitality, Vitality, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a good I point. I think that, that's going to be one of the main tests for me to see how it performs. Um just to touch a little bit on what I was saying with Nico's interview before is that the impression I got from listening to that was that Hooksie does call like very specific things, but he will give the freedom to like adapt mid round to players. So like if he's calling that they're executing A on Mirage or something, but Nico has a really good timing on something on B, like he'll give him the space to work that out and he's willing to like change up the entire call based on that. Whereas, like, maybe Alexi committed more beforehand. He was like, even if you got that kill, we're still going into A or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't obviously don't know the details, but like, it just seems like Hooksy has a better handle on on the way this team should operate than uh, Alexi did. But whether that lasts into stage environments or not is kind of like the main test for me right now, based on how Hooksy first played in their initial matches. Yeah, I think they can eliminate a lot of the variance that might come from that if it in, indeed the the path forward is basically Hooksy coming out with something out of spawn and then them adapting partway through. Because if Hooksy has everything written down in front of him and he can just pick something and you know hopefully he's picking the right thing and the pressure isn't getting him uh, getting to him in that situation. But if he can call it out of spawn before the pressure has a, a chance to really start getting to him in the middle of it, and then the stars who are more grizzled who understand the stage better, uh, obviously we're thinking of like Nico and Hunter and to a lesser extent Monacy as well who 
has isn't really super experienced, but hasn't really shown the fact that he's not super experienced on stage. Like he seems somehow to just be just like Bit in that respect, at least maybe to a lesser extent, but like he still delivers. Um, if that's the case, then the mid rounders can just come in and take over for him, almost like pulling that little bit of weight. But again, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because we have to see how he does actually adapt. And it, it's obviously a fair point that he hasn't really done much at the highest level. That's one of the main reasons I was skeptical to begin with. And the idea of him instantly slotting in and not having any pressure at the highest level seems a bit far-fetched. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see him at the stage. I don't know if I would restrict him to like calling stuff out of spawn. To me, he kind of seems like a fledgling Kerrigan. Like a far yeah. less experienced Kerrigan who has the ability to kind of like have a very good read on the game in mid rounds, but not necessarily one who can frag as well as Kerrigan or one who has like the tenacity or experience that Kerrigan has right now. Okay. Like uh, Peto, when he came on snake and banter did say that Hooksy's like the best IGL he has ever worked with. So I imagine that has more I, I, th- I imagine he has a very deep way of how he wants to play the game that goes well beyond just like the call out of spawn or just default or anything like that. And when, I mean, I mean, when I look back at like a lot of the games that even Hooksy's called for G2 or back at Copenhagen Flames, like there's a lot that goes on in these rounds. And then they frequently just put it together in a way that looks it's really nice. Like they, they were able to they're able to put people together. Like if it's a lurking kind of thing, like they make sure that the lurker has impact. If it's like a kind of like a set piece well that's just going to be good but i i think he's i think he's got even more to give as an in-game leader actually but i just yes. think that the thing is that the competition is going to level up a little bit more when it comes to higher stake games because other people were chilling and g2 was given it their all so i think that's kind of like can they look this good when the other team is like playing their a game instead of their b game yep which is yes. what they did in this one so I don't know. Do you guys have much to say about FaZe? I feel like, I mean, I think I kind of already prefaced that. I felt like they were kind of just sleepwalking through this group, and then they still did so well that it, they they were able to get out. Relatively yeah, they looked high. a little bit better than Navi looked, right? Yeah, so. Yeah, I would say it's okay. pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh, then, I don't know. We could do we could do Outsiders, just super brief. I'm not, I don't have too much to say about this team, but I think my point has been for the last week uh, across the broadcast and snake and banner also is just that i think james is like again showing that he can put a team together and make them incredibly competitive because this team will probably once again just hit like top 10 status like they're just they're just that good like the it doesn't feel like to me that there's any reason that they shouldn't yep uh especially with flip playing as well as he has james james is like still a very very good player uh I would still push back against his top 10 rating in HLTV last year, but I think he's like still a top 20 player, actually. I think he's probably one of the best like eight offers in the world, so that probably puts you in the top 20 comfortably. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this team is really good, and I think Fame and Norbert are starting to get it, whereas when I first watched them at... What event did I watch them at? Uh, oh, uh, like Dreamhack yeah, Valencia. Yeah. Yeah, that one, they were a little rougher around the edges. Like, well, they lost to Movistar Riders, to be fair, in the Grand Finals, which is like, like to get to the Grand Finals and then lose to a team that ends up going top four at Cologne is not, or was it top four or top six? Top playoffs of Cologne, let's they just were, say that. They were in the semis because they defeated Liquid in the oh, round of Oh, eight yeah, 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 and they lost to FaZe, right? Yeah. They lost to, yeah, so, so, I mean, 
that wasn't like a bad loss by any means. But then at this group also, they're taking care of business, 2-0-ing big and, you know, being competitive in the, like, taking a map off phase, taking a, taking G2 to overtime. So, like, yeah, they're good. They're good. Like, I think, I think, yeah, I think I'd agree with you in the, in the sense that they're, like, roughly a top 10 team around there. I don't think that with this roster, they'll return to what I kind of like qualified them as like the guardians of the top five almost mm-hmm. like to be in the top five right. teams. You had to beat outsiders consistently. I don't think that they're necessarily that anymore, but maybe they're now the guardian, of the top 10. Like they're a team that you have to consistently beat to be a top 10 team. Funnily they're enough, the... so they're, they've downgraded by five slots, but they're still good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny They're that, great, uh, but not elite for me. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The, the top five Guardian has almost been like passed on to, to Liquid, which is funny, obviously, because Yekinder is now on that roster. So it's just an interesting thing. I would say like if you can beat this new look Liquid consistently, you might actually be a top five team. Uh, so it's funny that Yekinder is sort of the passing of the torch there as they scale up. That's but, true. That's know. true, actually. Yekinder has been the, the constant in being a top five like Guardian, solar guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guardian, yeah. Yes. Gatekeeper. It was weird because that old VP lineup before they were called outsiders really did remind me a lot of like, I mean, I wouldn't say this in a derogatory manner, but fans will probably think it is, is that I thought of them as a placeholder team and that I didn't really know if they could become the challenger of like literally taking tournaments at a tier one level. Uh, obviously they uh, did sort of with Flashpoint too, if I remember correctly, but it was like, a, there's some asterisks there. It wasn't like a whole field and it was online. Um, so it's just one of those things where it's like you can kind of split hairs. But for me, it's like I never really felt like they got it, came into their own. I don't know that this is the lineup to change my mind on that either uh, because I do think that the caliber of players is less overall. But to your point, Maui Snake, about Jane being a good IGL, I think it's similar to the whole Fallen angle where it's like you might un- you might think that his play – the people who think that he's a really great player, those people are overrating him. But then that sort of creates this counter narrative where it's like, and he's also a shit IGL. Like, okay, you might be going a little bit too far with that angle too. So it's like one of those things where you have to think about, okay, what, where, where does he slot in as two distinct aspects of the roles? Cause he's IGLing and he's offing and he's saving. Of course, top, top three saver of all time. So there you go. Do you see liquid winning titles though? Ooh. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, I think they can make top four now, top two. I think they're in the exact same position VP was in before, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think they... Not quite a title winner, but like one that will be a contender in the top four consistently. That's that's an interesting prediction. Do they win a single tournament between now and the next year? Or maybe now and the next roster, like the next calendar year. International titles, specifically. Yeah, yeah, tier one title. Oh, well, okay... How about how about I slightly change this to I'll just say I think the teams that are gonna hit elite status are gonna be Navi phase G two Vitality and then Liquid is right there on the cusp for me. Yeah, like they I are right. Like I'm not sure yet if they are elite or if they're just like very very good. Like they are. They are the fifth best team for me right now. Are they? Like, they're like, are they a leader or are they the guard for who's going to become elite? Yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of yeah. how I see them, right? Like they're they're between there, and we. That's kind of what I'm waiting to see. But the thing is, I actually team. think they can beat some of these teams that are elite. Like I don't think I would count them out of a series. I would I would count them out versus like a good Navi, and I would count them out, I guess, versus a good phase. But I think they could. I think they could hang with 
Vitality and G2 right now. I wouldn't really I wouldn't really bet against them too much against that. I, I guess like I would. They're underdogs, but not heavy. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's ex- yeah. exactly. They have Very a close chance. underdogs. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's how I would definitely put it right now. I, I think they are right almost there. So, well, we are the NA Copium podcast, Maui. So we have to say that Liquid yeah. is just carrying the torch. But if you really do honestly look at the lineup, like Elige, Naf, Anya Kinder, it's like obviously OC is no slouch on the op. Like, come on, come on, guys, come on. They got experience. They got their trio great, is so good. Yeah, really, their really good trio rifles. Is insane. Yeah. yeah. So like it's it's hard to count them out. Like even though people have obviously been down on NA, and I would say rightfully so, uh, you can't really count out this roster. This roster is like the gr- the greats of the region, basically. Plus you can, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, if you if you go man to man versus like Phase, for example, like I think very obviously you're gonna have your Kinder over Rain. Yeah. Have like. Twist versus Elige. Elige probably takes that slightly. Yeah. You have, um, I think Nitro versus Kerrigan, obviously Kerrigan takes it. Yeah. I think Nap is, is actually no. pretty, just like maybe a hair beneath Rops. Slightly beneath Rops. Yeah. Like I would almost consider them like 50 50 to be yeah, honest. I don't know like if I impact. even feel comfortable saying like a hair beneath. I would I think say I'm, they're like equal, actually. Yeah, I, exactly. say they're equal. I think I'm I'm just a NAF fan, so it's really hard for me uh, to be like <laughs> he's worse than Rops. But I think Rops is I think always going to do better. 50/50. Well, Rops will always do better statistically, but in terms of impact, I actually think NAF yes. does more sometimes. Like, but yes. but I but I think Brokey beats OC pretty handily right now. Like in current he, form, yeah. Yeah, I think Brokey's definitely better. Kerrigan's better than Nitro just as a caller, too. That's kind of a big... That's a big deal here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's kind of, like, the biggest difference maker between in that matchup specifically for me. Yeah. And it's also more than just man-for-man, man, obviously. But, like, the experiment yeah, yeah. is there for, for us to, like, rate the players to, on a player-versus-player player basis. And it is one of those things where it's, like... If they're feel if everybody's feeling it and they're in that sort of like grand slam type vibe for liquid, then they certainly could contend with pretty much anybody. But I do think that like you know the phase and Navi's they they're just so well drilled at this point and they're so yeah. like phase is so clutch too. I know this has been said to death, but I you know it's just one of those cases where even if liquid are up on a like liquid kind of need to be up on motivation and momentum for me even now even with the Kinder edition and it's like. They they still need them that momentum to carry forward. They can't get it to sixteen eleven because then they just drop or fifteen eleven rather they just drop it. Yeah. They need they need like a fifteen seven and then they're still comfy. But like Phase meanwhile can do any scoreline seemingly at the big games. Yeah, and then they can just bring it back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I wanted to get into this topic because it set my like mentions on fire, and I wanted your guys' opinion on it. Um, there was a Reddit thread. Richard Lewis released a video about it. And I'm talking about the conflict of interest at Fragadelphia. We don't usually get into too many like meta discussions like this on this, but I, I have pretty strong thoughts on this now. And I actually wrote like almost a thousand words that I pretty much could be like publishing this probably about like why I actually don't think I'll put it like this. And for anybody that's maybe tuning in and doesn't know the whole situation, I'll give you a bigger rundown here. So the so basically Evil Geniuses enrolled two different teams. Uh the Carpe Diem and the Party Astronauts teams at Fragadelphia, which is a grassroots, but has grown out of being a grassroots tournament in North America to actually basically attract international attention. You had like teams like Apex, Big Omen Academy joined it. I think like a British team joined it. Uh, the so what so what 
is out there is that, and people had a serious concern with this, that this is a conflict of interest because if they play each other at this tournament, EG versus EG, actually also there was Davenport University A squad, B squad or whatever. But like, again, I didn't really mind. I don't really, whatever. There's a conflict of interest there. Like, I know what the definition of conflict of interest is. Like, I don't need to be told, I don't really need to be told that anymore. This is a conflict of interest. What I want, what my point is throughout all of this is that not all conflicts of interest are created equally and is not a binary saying that something is immediately bad when there is a conflict of interest. If that were the case, you wouldn't see it in any cases across any esports or sports, which it does happen in two. And that basically the, the main thing here is that people just want to slap on the term conflict of interest and then think the discussion is over. It's not. It hasn't. It's like it's a gray area, which is why a TO like Fragadelphia would allow something like this. This is why this has happened in like COD League or LCS. It's happened in so many different things. Yes, it, it, they, these are conflicts of interest. But, equal, but instantly saying that does not mean that something is just completely off the table and or illegal. It's not like really illegal. It's just that things that have to be governed between like basically local bodies in order to make sure that that conflict of interest isn't actually going so far in one direction that it is likely leading or is leading to malpractice. So I want to hear what you guys thought about this first. I have many more points on this, but like, what, what is, what are your guys like gut reactions or what have you guys thought about in terms of this sort of ordeal? I don't think it should happen. I don't really care if what, what the potential fallout is, but if you try to take a more realistic approach, you said earlier, it does happen. Obviously, there are bigger issues with CS. The question is, when do we decide it's worth enforcing competitive integrity? And it is a question of competitive integrity because it is a conflict of interest. And I wouldn't say that I think anybody on the EG roster would necessarily condone the negative behavior that could happen that could threaten the competitive integrity. It's just, of course, the, the definition be being... If it could happen, then it shouldn't be allowed. And that's more the question is like, what precedent does this set? It's always hard for people to diso dissociate like their, who they're a fan of, what they like, who, which team they, they're rooting for. Yeah. And if it's happening to a team that they really like, I mean, I'm friends with Munsters in the chat right now. Like I, I feel I would consider him a friend at the very least. I would say like, you know, I've talked with him. We've been on shows and collaborated, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that I, I'm going to co-sign any sort of behavior that involves him, obviously. Uh, so the question becomes like, if you separate that out, if you, if you take away the NA side or the individual team side or the people who are involved side, just consider if it was just team A versus team B and they were both owned by the same org and they're both paid salaries by the same org and one of them maybe is slightly edged out the other or it's even a potentially a competition to see in some weird meta way which team should be uh, getting more resources perhaps. There's all sorts mm -hmm. of different angles you could go, go with. If that were to be happening and they were both sent to the same tournament, like that is in very clear, in my estimation, a very clear example of a conflict of interest where maybe they meet in the same bracket, which by the way, would have actually happened at this event had the, the playoffs gone a bit differently, right? CD, so, the Scarpa DM team lost a match. Yep. Yeah. And right if they, if they hadn't, then they would have been competing with against each other, which would have been a realization of the exact issue we were concerned about. But it could have also been the same deal. Like, I mean, this didn't happen as far as I know. I'm not alleging that it happened. It very well could have been that Carpe Diem took the L to allow for the next team to go in because they were more favorably matched up against PA who were going to be good. I don't know. Like there's so many different things you could think of. And again, I don't think it happened. I'm not going to say that sit here and, and think that maybe it did or, or say that maybe it did. It's just a question of like, this could theoretically occur. And I mean, if you want to get technical, it did happen as far as I can, I can't say legally it did. 
in a video game it happened at, at the highest level of competition in the LCK, uh, which is obviously League of Legends for Korea. Yeah, LCK. Uh, um, the, it, they play at Worlds, right? Like, it was the team who won Worlds yeah. in a video game uh, had their sister team take the L. So that, that did happen in a video game. So, like, this thing can I mean, happen. Like, he's saying in a video. <laughs> because it's not, I, I, if, listen, dude, it's all legal shit. As far, like, it's okay. not been confirmed, basically, but it has been confirmed, but it's not, you know what I mean? So, uh, allegedly, I think that happened. So, it's just one of those things, like, it just, it, it's this stuff that keeps occur- occurring. It's like, how far up does it go? How far up can it go? I just would prefer to not have to think about that and just watch the game. And that's the main concern that I have here is like, obviously this was tried in the past with Astralis's parent organization when Astralis and Heroic were owned by the same team. And then it's like, oh, what if they make a league and they have own all the teams in the league? Well, like, who knows what fuckery could happen? And those are much less scrupulous individuals than the people running EG as far as I'm concerned. So I would ha- have even less trust in that. And so I think it's actually a great opportunity to talk about this. Uh, topic overall right i think it's a great opportunity to say like okay well there's these teams that we generally feel pretty good about there's these people who are you know well respected in the in the space or whatever and we don't necessarily think of them as like bad actors in any way but it could happen if they were less scrupulous if it was a different organization a different setting you know who knows what could happen so i think it's a great time to talk about it in that sense because we can maybe move past the idea that we're attacking the individuals and just think about like the premise i wouldn't be attacking individuals especially on the eg team for this because one the org has okay so i think like there are two main kind of offending parties even though i don't think there is a significant offense here are fragadelphia's admin staff that that okayed this and i think the second is eg for enrolling two teams that got that played in it and like if you're the players on the team you're not going to say you're probably not going to say no i don't want to have a chance to play in this tournament that you're paying for me to go to like it just uh, just as in fact it actually in fact it would probably work against their contract to not go to it if the if the or the to or i mean not the to the org said hey play in this tournament so like i can't i can't put that blame on the players at all actually uh i assume they would be working out of like against their contract whatever so we're we're like where I find like people have come up with hypotheticals that this there would be some sort of like competitive integrity issue here is like what would EG rig this for? So what what are the like so then I broke down what are the what are the ways that they're gonna break like I'll just say the three things that they would probably be doing here if they wanted to like if, if there were malpractice or foul play would be one match fixing. That's just like the first most and obvious one. Let's just think about that for like a split second here. If you match fix in the CSGO space in any facet, you are banned, you are out of, your your whole org is going to dissolve probably because everybody will know you're a match fixer. It's like nobody's going to represent you or want to be part of you. And in about like, 15 years when Isak actually prosecutes you. For- yeah, yeah, how about, I mean, how about never? How about the entire tier two scene has been doing this for the past five years, homie? Like, I don't know if with, you can with, say that with any degree of confidence. In a perfect with, world, with, yes. Right. With, but let's, but okay, so this is actually where I even was like going to go further than that with the match fixing thing is that, you know, what's easier to do is match fix if you just aren't under the same banner. So what, what's to say that two teams that are just 
signed up for Fragadelphia are not doing it. It's just the information that we have that basically we're almost burdened with this knowledge now that EG is running both of these teams, when in fact most match-fixing cases, I'm sure in the Tier 2 NA space, were not under the same banner in terms of the org that was running them. It's just that there is now like a person that's higher above them and a banner that they're waving that is saying like, we do actually have relations to each other, but we know now that like most people like four pack and Retchy just had relations to their friends. Like they were just they were just match fixing without without that sort of banner. So it was like I almost don't like I actually almost have started moving away from the match fixing side of it even further because I realized that most match fixing isn't like it's not that obvious when it's just between two teams of the same org. It happens more often when it's not two teams of the same org. It happens more for a tier two team that isn't contracted at all because they know that there there's more on the line here where they have their contracts that will be voided. They're they know they're they are pro players. They're gonna like lose their job forever if they do that so that to me is like such a huge like indictment on the, the likelihood that it's it's going to be match fixing like that just makes it makes so little sense for that to even be a possibility and like also that's also kind of like an external betting thing that like it should also be probably like more so on the bookie side of things where it's like the bookies should just straight up like not have that game available for bet you know like and if and if eg finds some like secret backdoor bookie shady bookie that is like willing to take the bet then the bookie is just a dumbass then the bookie is just a moron because why would you let the e an eg like head of staff bet with you when you know that he's like possibly the one that's causing any kind of fix so i don't, I don't think that makes any sense i don't I, I literally don't understand how match fixing could even be like a remote idea in this case anymore like i don't think anybody I, if you guys could prove the other otherwise like how could this I, be, i'll give you an example i'll give you an yeah. example so it might again i mean i sort of talked about it earlier where it's like oh this team doesn't do very well against pa side so we'll on the cd side you know just take the l here just don't try as hard man is and, and that's the thing is like you can't just did not bet not allow betting on the match to match up with his two teams it has to be the whole event off no betting and i mean <laughs> That's a pretty big hit to any event, if you don't know. So that's something that would basically mean that it, nobody would even invite this team or it wouldn't be financially you know, ideal at all for anybody to invite this team. So that's like one of those cases where it's it's kind of like a nuclear option, right? It's like, if you are going to have this, then there can't be betting. And that doesn't even really fully fix the problem because it could still happen just for the prize money, just for the cloud of winning and the sponsorship exposure and all that other stuff. So, I mean, who knows? Like, Another example, if you want to go the sponsorship route, it could be completely ir irrelevant. Um, if you have like a, you know, if say MIBR has two teams fielding, but one of them has fallen, you know, it's like, okay, well, the fallen team is going to get a lot more eyeballs, a lot more sponsorship activation. Hey, other team, you know, take the L. I'm not saying it would happen. I'm not saying it's even likely or possible. It's, I mean, well, I am saying it's possible. That's the main problem is that it's certainly, you could imagine a scenario where it could happen and it doesn't even take that like a super creative person to think about like, well, how could I maybe squeeze a little bit more blood from the stone uh, and despite any potential shady morals. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that like the, I, again, that's like the least likely option. I think like you're, you're correct in saying that it's like, so, that that would happen but also remember that it doesn't even take two teams to collude it could be one person on one team doing one per one thing with another person on another team or simply say it's the igl or the star player maybe they call deliberately See, terribly but, but, maybe but the they risk of, the risk of someone colluding is always there it's always yes, present yeah, yeah, yeah. regardless of if they're under the same org or not right which is also my like counter counterpoint to that 
well, what, like, how, how are you enforcing that? How do you know? Like, oh yeah, you can't. It's a, what, it's an unprovable thing. But what I'm saying is, it it's wouldn't. It would only, regardless of if they're the same org yes. or two different orgs, it would only take one person on one of the teams to be told by the by the org or something like that. In in, in a theoretical world, is what I'm saying. And the, that's the main issue. Is that a lot of this stuff is just in theory. A lot of the stuff is like existing yeah. in our minds as we project out potential scenarios. Not necessarily something that. We can point, even if it did happen, like maybe it did happen at this event, right? But like, we can't know. We'll never be able to know, really. So that's the, the tough part. I'm I'm really conflicted as to how to feel about this specific situation because in in one regard, I think even having the option to have a conflict of interest yes. there is something that shouldn't exist. I think that the fact that you have, A, you have teams under one organization that now have multiple chances of winning the same event which shouldn't be a thing, for one. For two, you have a chance of those teams meeting each other in the event, which, regardless of whether they would fix the outcome or not, that just shouldn't exist. Like, you shouldn't have the possibility of having two teams under the same organization meet in an event, and the fact that the the thought can even exist that maybe this team will tell one of their teams to win it and the other one to not. Like, Yes, I don't think either of these actual teams would do that, and I don't think any of the organizations would do that either. But the fact is that the the potential for that to even happen shouldn't exist. Now, to to counter myself, I think Fragadelphia as an event is should not be held to the same expectation as an ESL Pro League, a blast, like any of these top-tier events that are running as such, I think Fragadelphia in in North America has always held this less, I don't want to say less professional, but it's always had, held this like amateur path to like, it's the land you go to when you're on the come up in NA to kind of like prove you can do it on land. It's also the one where you meet pros and meet like players of your similar level that, that are in Premier or in advance and you kind of like, that's how you you make your way up. Yeah, it's like making think, relations in that space, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think for me, the fact that this, that these two EG teams, or these two teams, like Party Astronauts and um, Carpe, Diem. Carpe Diem, signed to EG, I think when they did that, this is part of one of the sacrifices they made, in that only one of those teams can then go to Fragadelphia. Just like only one of those teams can compete in the major qualifier. Just like only one of those teams can be an ESL Pro League. It's just one of the sacrifices you make when you decide that you're getting that salary and you're getting that guaranteed ability to play under an org like EG. That's that's the trade-off you're making. That you get to play in some tournaments, another EG team gets to play in other tournaments, and the other EG team gets to play in other tournaments. That's kind of just how it is. But unfortunately, EG decided, hey, we're going to have all the teams instead of just our main team and a, and a uh, academy yeah. or our secondary team. They're like, no, we're going to have three teams instead. And two of the teams play on the same level because North America is in such a shit situation that you only really seem to have one org that wants to like help alleviate that and help actually try and promote that structure. So it sucks all around because I think both teams should be able to c- compete in Fragadelphia and have the chance to to make a name for themselves and get those results. But the fact is that they're both underneath the same organization, and I'm sorry, but the, the reality of accepting an offer under that organization is that you can only play in... One of those teams can only play in that tournament. That's just how it is. 
It's just like okay. they made the decision. Like that's why Valve has their rule that only one team from an organization can play in a major qualifier. They don't want yeah. the potential. They don't like. No one's thinking that. Oh, like Carpe Diem's not going to allow or is going to like allow party astronauts to win in a major qualifier. It's that that shouldn't even be a potential. Like the fact is, it's it's not about how much credence you give to the players, how much yep. you give to the teams. It's like, yes, we know them. We know that they wouldn't do it. The potential should never be there. And the fact so, that the team signed to this yeah. organization and they knew that this would be an outcome, they accepted that. Yeah, there was even an interview where Munster said like he had to talk with the whole team and say, like, all right, do we as party astronauts want to do this when we were basically not allowed to compete at majors until like things change or maybe we get picked up by a different org? And they all agreed to do that. And I mean, the same thing should be true there. It's like, I don't, I don't know how you decide which team goes in. Do you do some sort of like duel off, you know, blood sports scrims or something? <laughs> yeah, that could be, oh, a, so, that so, could be an angle, so, but like f figure out who actually, goes. I, but I forgot. That's another point that I meant to say is that Carpe Diem and party astronauts have been practicing each other in the EG Seattle headquarters continuously over the last few months and probably the main team. I don't know what the exact like, situation with that is, but they have a far more intuitive understanding of like how the other team plays. So if you're then matching up against each other in a tournament, it's not going to be the same match. Like mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's just not the same situation and that's not fair to the rest of the tournament. Okay. Okay. I, I, I accept that I accept strongly that these teams should not be any sort of qualifier with each other. I, I wrote that down like in my giant list of reasons as to why I believe what I believe in this because qualifiers can be like much more easily manipulated because there's like the placing objectives in a qualifier are, are very different than a cash tournament. Like a cash tournament only rewards for like the org here only rewards higher placings whereas there's ways in a qualifier where for instance like top six slots there's a lot of bracket manipulation that can go on in order to like reach qualification status and so like i also think that you should probably sh you shouldn't have two teams that are of the same banner um doing it but it's like the reason like i have this exception a greater exception with fragadelphia is because of kind of like the mo of frag entirely is so drastically different than like a pro league or like there's not like the ex there's not these external benefits whereas even for even for like um well rmr is the most obvious one where you just like you qualify you get stickers boom huge huge amount of money right there and even like pro league has like stuff too where it's like uh they have like other little monetary things where it's like if you win a match you get five thousand extra dollars um if you get like I, th I think, well, for one, like ESL ranking and stuff like that. And that's kind of like took me to a point where I was also kind of curious, like, how does Fragadelphia, how is that included in HLTV world rankings? Because basically my the like my argument kind of unravels at this point more so where basically I I think there could be a conflict of interest in terms of like propping up another team's HLTV rating because this is a land official match. And that's where I feel like the throwing in terms of like moving like. If, if, if the if Fragadelphia's only goal were just prize money, then I think that I, I actually almost have I, I can't even really think of a great reason as to why I can't have both these teams here, because at the end of the day, if they're just paying a lot of money to try to get further in the tournament, they're investing money to try to make money. Like, it's just like from like an economic standpoint, I feel like that's just like that's just how everything works. 
period in the world. Like you're just putting money in to try to get more money out of it. Like I don't that that to me is just like business. But when it's like qualification or there's uh, like ranking points on the line, then throwing to try to prop up the ranking of say like the party astronauts roster because they you want to you want this team to start getting invited to stuff. This is where it gets my argument gets a little bit flimsy because I could totally see that where EG's like. CD, you guys have a lower world ranking, or vice versa, you guys have a you guys have a low ranking. We want you to take some of the points from party astronauts. We want you to win this match so you guys are both top 60 teams in the world so we can like market that and be like, hey, we have three teams that are all in the top 60 of the world. So this is me kind of like going against it a little bit, but it's again a small point. And in the gray area of all of this, I find like it's such a low, lower priority than like letting the teams play because like you said no the objective of this is to just have like tier two level teams have an environment where they can like play in this kind of thing i think it does greater good in that sense which is kind of like a utilitarian way to see all this like what's the greatest good here throughout all of this like trolley problem here like do i let do i kill eg or do i like just it's like do i kill one team or do i kill the integrity of the event i guess that's like what the lever is is shifting the tracks towards but i mean yeah. go back to what yeah. you were saying about endpoint before though in the sense that like oh they like, maybe they're prioritizing yeah. a certain player so that they can sell them for more maybe they're prioritizing a certain team so that they can sell them for more or prioritizing like who's to say that they let like i don't know for example like maybe they're like Ponalone's getting really old let's let him get like a 2.0 rating against cd like it's just like it's it's obviously that's a very that's a joke example but like in in the sense that like there shouldn't even be potential for that like on one degree yes i think that it's very beneficial to have both teams play and i think that all the players on the teams should have the opportunity to compete in something like Fragadelphia. yeah it just shouldn't be a reality like part of the as I said, I don't think there's any counter to the argument in that when these players signed to play under this organization, part of that agreement was that you will not be able to play in other in certain tournaments because the other team will be playing in other tournaments. Right. That's kind of the deal. Like that's kind of where it is. And because Fragadelphia is like one of the biggest lands in NA, both of the teams want to play, obviously. But then well, I, would like, assume, you... I, I would assume that sort of contract thing came more down to if the tournament doesn't allow both of you guys to play in it, we will be selecting the team that goes no, but, to but, the thing. But, but why does the tournament not allow both teams to play? Because it's a so, conflict of interest. So, so this is more, but, this but is more down thing, to like, like Fragadelphia's admins than like any anything to do with... Like again, like I said, I said at the very beginning of this, I don't blame EG's players for this at all. I blame, no, neither, neither I, do I. I yeah, neither I, do I, I would. I would like shoot this more up to like Fragadelphia's admin team that let this happen, and I'm trying to explain why it's a gray area, not a black and white issue. So I, I just yeah, think yeah, like, Fragadelphia's admins made a poor decision in this sense. Like I think okay. they prioritized having more names at their event, which I don't think is bad for them. But the fact is that they shouldn't even allow that conflict of interest to, to occur in their event because they're also then having to select the bracket in a way that both EG teams can't meet in the grand final and they have to meet beforehand, for example. Like, I think it would be really bad, for example, if both EG teams had the or were on either side of the bracket and the only way they could have met was in the grand final. Like, nobody wants to see EGCD versus EGPA in the grand final. I'm sorry. Like, not like not because of the players or anything, just for the sake of competitive integrity, like that just wouldn't make for a good event for one mm. for two. Like I think. See, but, like, okay. So that statement right there though, that it wouldn't make it a good event. That's where Fragadelphia deemed it's still an okay event. 
we're the ones running it. Like we can, we can do that. We, we, we have the power here. So like, that's their option. That's their choice. And I but think that's Adelphia a, aren't like a 30 K land anymore. My dude, they're a hundred thousand dollars and they're, they're running like qualifier events with, in cooperation with ESEA where yeah. like you play in weekend cash cups and you like get points to qualify for the land and you like get invited to the main stage. And then you have European teams flying in like apex. I'm, and then you yes. have like you yeah, have like yeah. this competitive level rising, but you can't simultaneously be like, oh, we're still a small land. We're gonna allow this like conflict of interest. Like it doesn't work. You can't have both. You can't be like a small tier land, but then also like try and balance it out by saying like, no, we're gonna make this weird decision that like other lands wouldn't allow. It's just it, you, you can't do that. I, like to one degree, I get it. You're trying to prop up NA and you're trying to allow for. For these teams to play and it is very much like a legacy land in na and there is an importance to need to having that like um path up to pro especially okay. with how much na is struggling like i get i get all of the situations that are for it but it just like, shouldn't happen in terms like, that, of like that's the, the end of it in terms of like the ethics in in like when we look at this specific situation it's a subjective judgment that the conflict of interest impedes like the event's quality like I, it's kind of like that's not I, and the way that fragadelphia deemed it they don't think it impedes like the event like they think it's, it makes a better event probably they think it probably gets more views or something like that which is not which is not how i think you should be running an event or like you should sacrifice competitive integrity to do that but when you're when you're and many arguments boil down to it makes the event bad because no one wants to watch it that's still say, using the same metric that's still using the same metric in just the other direction. Like it's not, it's a counter, it's like a counter logical kind of statement to say that because they think it, they think it's good. They think it's a good for viewership. They think it like, like, I don't like, I think this is bad by, because I, I don't think I'll say this. Like I basically have like a negative opinion of the, the whole incident. And I know it's a conflict of interest. I just think that like, it's up to Fragadelphia sometimes what they want to do in this kind of situation. And I don't think like, because it's not some world-class tournament where we should eliminate all types of conflict of interest. That's why I like one, give it, give like, I'm, I'm fine with the, the EG players. Like this is not their fault. I almost am fine with EG. In fact, because they just could do it. They, they should do it. They should just get more exposure for it. And then with Fragadelphia, they just are looking for their bottom line in this too. They think that this is going to provide more viewership because you get another big org that's in, that's putting players in your tournament. Like this is, this is, this is not supposed to take place on the world's highest stage, but if Fragadelphia just want that little jump in viewership, this is like, this is at their end of the day, this is their choice. And this is the choice they made. And I think like, that's why I'm just like not just sold on it being. I don't think having two EG teams affected the viewership though. Like I don't think if they had one EG team there, it would have lowered the viewership versus having both teams. There. Well, don't bury the lead either because this isn't about viewership at the end of the day. I it's mean, not. we were using we were not, talking yeah. about viewership as an angle for maybe why the subjective decision was made, but it is an objective conflict of interest regardless of what goes down yes. or doesn't go down, and that's the main thing that you have to look at and. I'm sorry, but I don't think I, I think it was it, it, I do think it's disgraceful if a team has two orgs. I think there's something perverse about a single organization getting double checks written to them from prize money. I think that is already too far and that's not respecting the players at all. It has nothing to do with the players. That's the org getting double payouts from this TO. And it's not much. It's 40,000 40, for first place, 5,000 for seat where CD slotted. It's not a crazy amount, but it's not about the amount. Just like it's not about the viewership. It's about what is objectively happening, which is two separate checks. And I think also, that's something that's mind, pretty messed two, up. 
Keep in mind, two spots to EG at Fragadelphia means one less spot to another team at Fragadelphia. It's not as simple as... Yeah, like, uh, if you're talking about the greater like, good, there's an element there where it's like, okay, well, these two teams are owned by the same organization, run by the same organization, but that means that there's another organization or maybe just a, a BYOC-type team that's just showing up. Like, I don't know. I, I think gone are the days where this is just like... I think even if it were a little land with 30K or whatever, I still wouldn't be super comfortable with it at all, and I would still call it out as a conflict of interest. But I also think that if the players of these teams wanted to quickly make a, a mix and go in without the EG banner, maybe that makes more sense. I mean, it's still a little bit suspicious because they're technically being paid salaries from an org, but at least there's a, a degree of separation there and it's a bit different. But they were both repping EG and the checks did go to them first. And I think that's messed up. I don't think that should happen in, in CS. And I think that if you if you allow this kind of... I mean, I, I like to think about it like this too whenever I'm trying to weigh up a, a principled issue is what happens if every team is able to do this now at every LAN or even every LAN that's like the size of, of Fragadelphia. At, what if the next Fragadelphia has 12 teams but each one of them are, are both owned by two orgs? I mean, it, it can't happen because there's not that there's, many teams. See, like, I, I'm not taking it to the nth degree because the nth degree changes the set of circumstances. Like there's nuance to this whole discussion and i think a lot of times when i've seen this kind of post but who, online who draws that line the, where the does line, the where the is the drawn the, the line is no, drawn but you by can't be like okay let's say navi decides next there could just be a rule also. that just says you can only have two teams like that that could be the line right there that, that that's does, not that's, a good line that just ends the no, discussion that, that's worse like, that's worse though i wouldn't i wouldn't say you don't that's want like two teams from each org attending a land like that doesn't make sense that's that makes it even worse like having well, yeah, a I'd, rule being like no, all org can only have a max of two teams makes in competitive integrity worse because now you have or orgs able to send two teams <laughs> okay. in the rules. The, the, Alex, the, you're the, you're making your point worse. No, like okay, Alex, I'm saying I'm, say, I'm saying like you're not gonna have like nine teams from it because they would just say no. Like that's that's all it takes. Like I, I think I don't taking like it to like the greatest possible like bad is not where I where this discussion needs to go because it's like the hype. There's no need for a hypothetical there. It's just like what happened here. That's that's what I'm saying is like I don't need the the pre the precedent is the very next event could be different because if they have 150,000 maybe the line could be just drawn at the prize money or something like that like or like basically the line for me is drawn like like how big the tournament is actually because at the end of the day the reason I again like kind of the reason I started this point is that Fragadelphia is essentially just a grassroots land like and it's supposed to just like get people in North America to play with each other and like and there's a weird circumstance right now in the NA space where one org has three teams. And I feel like this is just some weirdly unique set of circumstances that I'm not necessarily like drawing the line and being like, we need to uphold like this, like we, not, we need to like bury this co conflict of interest in the ground because we all know that this space has like such a weird landscape right now that like burying a team is not necessarily good for the scene either. So that that's no, why but, I'm like, so, so this goes back to my original point in like, the two main conflicts in this situation, like again, to reiterate, the players are not the issue in this at all. The primary issue is one, Fragadelphia allowing it to happen because they made that choice to allow this the two teams from the same org to compete, both for Davenport and for EG. Okay, Number this might two, be frustrating for everybody, but if I were the Fragadelphia admins, I wouldn't have let this happen. But I've yes. just been I've been arguing this whole time to to try to explain how this is a much grayer area than people are just drawing the line out immediately. Okay, like yes. that's if I was if I was a frog yes. admins, I wouldn't have allowed it to happen either. Okay. I can understand the decision making process for whatever for them at least 
because also keep in mind like all of these players have also played multiple Philadelphia's before like or the majority of them have and the admins are also like well aware that they compete for the win they're not like whatever like they they have an understanding of like the players aren't going to be fixing the matches etc i mean i can understand the the motivation behind a match fixer too but that doesn't mean i think that it's a gray area to match fix right and the reason why i'm saying this is because you have to figure out the principle before you assess the individual situation you guys can think about this yourselves and figure it out but i feel like we would be having a very immediately closed case one-sided conversation if this exact thing happened in a russia only cis event somewhere and it was just tier two russia but actually it has like i don't know spirit and spirit academy are playing against each other it's we i don't think we would even think about it man i honestly think it would be over open and shut maybe it wouldn't maybe we would still be doing that that's why i revealed my side of it this late because i want to explore the issue i didn't i didn't necessarily like i'm not necessarily convinced i don't know like that's i think we've i actually think well if you want to say more no go for it i'm i'm all ears I was just going to say my second point to that is that I think I place the blame more squarely on evil geniuses and organization than anything in allowing this to even become an issue. I think that both of the teams would never say no to playing in a Fragadelphia. Yeah. And by signing both organizations, like, yes, hold on. Like, I get it. Signing both of these teams is a net benefit to NA in the sense that there's no organizational support for a lot of these kind of rosters. And I think these players having that structure and having that kind of ability to, to play off of EG as an org is a benefit to both them and NA as a whole. But that being said, them playing in this tournament was one of the sacrifices you make when you sign on to, to yeah, play to as have a the support free... from, from that yes, organization. Yes, in yeah. the sense that one of the teams is going to play and the other one isn't. That's that's like and that's an a decision that EG should have made. Like it shouldn't have been, no, you guys can both go, we'll talk to the tournament organizer to try and make it work out. It should just be, okay, maybe they host an internal BO3 and be like, whoever wins this BO3 gets to go to Frag. Why not? Yeah. That maybe that's just how it is. Yeah. Maybe that's just what they had to do. But I'm like the yeah, fact yeah, that it yeah. opens that up this more... can of worms in the first place is like is the main issue. Yeah, put yeah. that put that put that on the main e- Evil Geniuses Twitch channel. Stream that. See how I mean that that there you go. There's competition just to figure out who goes right, and that could be like a that could be a neat little play to do. And it's just in, it's internal. That's bumps up their numbers, gives them more sponsorship activation. It would be good content, I think. Like that's a much better and a more wholesome solution to this than sending both teams. I think Fraggy still that have would to be, say. That... That would be a really cool way to do it, yeah. actually. That would be a very like beneficial for the whole community to see that. Actually. Sure, yeah. Just, I mean, then they yeah. can bring up their own. I mean, the diehard fans of those rosters and of NACS in general, we can assess who they think the better team is. Uh, based on that, they can, you know, there can be this shoulder content. That can be a, a positive thing to come from EG picking up all the teams, besides the fact that, of course, they all get salaries and all that uh, support stuff and stuff. I'll just say about Frag. I don't think they should have allowed it, obviously. Um, but I also think that, like, I don't know. Like, when you are put the lean on by EG, which we assume happened. I mean, maybe it didn't. Maybe there was just, like, here's a proposal. And then by virtue of the name being big enough, Frag decided to sort of 
allow that. I don't know. Like if I'm if I'm the other teams at this event, I'm I'm staging a coup immediately and saying, oh, yeah, we're not playing. <laughs> like we qualify, but we're not playing if you're going to allow two teams. And I feel like the fact that that didn't happen is unfortunate because that would have short circuited the whole thing immediately, right? Um, you know, if if this happens and I'm a competitor at an event and I see you know a rival org or just an org that happens to be fielding multiple teams having both of their represent representatives here or whatever, it's like, nah, homie, nah, I don't think so. So just, just based on that pretense alone, I don't think you can lay the blame necessarily or nearly as, as much responsibility on the other players. But I do think you should stand up for what you think is right or wrong as far as competitive integrity goes. And where was Shock saying something like this on Apex? Where were any of the, like, the bigger names that were at this event that weren't on an EG roster saying, hey, Stico we're not going to literally that. head of the CSPPA, by the way. Yeah, hello. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> we should probably hold them to a bit of a standard here, too, and say, hey, guys, like, you know, you, you facilitated this by, by your compliance. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing that I've had a problem with with every single time the CSPPA does or most often doesn't do something is that you guys have the power. The only power of a union or agency or whatever is like withhold the labor and make them come to the table and negotiate details. They didn't even try to do that here as far as I can tell. So whatever. Okay. okay. I think we're, well, we, we are on the same page. I wanted to just explore that because I also thought, I, I mean, Whatever. We've explored it. It's been good. It was a good discussion, I think. Yeah. I think I think it, to wrap up my thoughts at least, I think for Fragadelphia as an event, not the biggest deal, but not something I want to see happen again. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like where, I think this should yeah. be a learning lesson going forward for both EG as an org and Fragadelphia as a tournament organizer. Right. Like I, I get I understand I understand why they did it, but it just shouldn't even be a discussion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this feels like something we would see in 2015, but unfortunately, that's maybe where NA still is. I don't know. Get him out. That's toxic. <laughs> Listen, okay. I, I, I do realize I said that, and then I, my instinct was, Mix is going to say something to help NA out now. And he's in the chat. Maybe he can yeah, still say just, it. Yeah, he's just joined the chat. Mix, what's what your shout out? when they watch the VOD. I already shouted we'll out, get... uh, you know, whoever was Esetag for you, but who's, who else is your shout out? Um, he'll he'll give it eventually. We'll we'll get yeah, to those. Yeah. How about we just get to the Patreon question and then we'll do shoutouts because I think this has been a lengthy lengthy discussion. That yeah, sure. Was uh okay. So we got. I think we only have one right now, right? It is, is on the screen. Yeah. We, this like is what it. happens when we don't remind people to do them. All right, reminder everybody. Before we do it, reminder that you can submit your questions via Patreon. We have many patrons. And you guys could ask us all these questions, and we get to your questions often enough, I feel like, that you should. But either way, I don't think any of us are complaining about the fact that we had more time to talk about con conflicts of interest and competitive integrity. So let's uh, do this. Fursock asks, how was Monacy's first year thus far compared to Ziwoo's? Ziwoo. Had to correct that at the very last second there. I feel Sometimes like you just have to throw out the other name. Yeah, yeah, the sure. Other pronunciation. I think Monacy is looking pretty hot, especially now. But I mean, he's more flashy. But I feel like maybe this is wrong. But my instinct is to say that Zero uh, had more competition uh, in terms of like he was showed off more in his first year, and he had to play more games. Do you guys agree with that? Or like it feels like Zero is more consistent in terms of like the fact that he played more games in his first year at tier one than what I feel like Monacy has done. Obviously the year's not over yet, so that also probably contributes, but 
That's just my thoughts. Is that like, I mean, Munasee's looked pretty good, but first of all, not at the level of, of Zero overall consistently across his time in tier one uh, so far. And also feels like less of a sample size. So I'm not sure what to think. Oh, I have a, I have a pretty strong take on this actually I that I would think, I think Zewu had a lot more help. Like, I think he had a much Agreed. better team around Agreed, him yeah. than, than what Monacy has. I think, like, I don't think Alexi... I just... After, already after seeing a couple... Like, because we have this new information about how he looks under Hooksy, this is a much better team now. He's a much better player now. If he had Hooksy this whole year, he could have been maybe as good as Zaiwu was in his first year, actually. Like, honestly. He's already... I mean, if you just look at these last two, uh, these last two events, his rating would literally be... Like, if you average the two events, he'd be, like, almost exactly what Zaiwu's rating was for what Zaiwu had in his 2019 year, which was, by the way, number one player on HLTV. So these last two events for Monacy, if he just continued on pace with this, even with the, the variance in the two events so far, he's the best player in the world, like, you know, essentially in, a, in another year. I, I think because of that, it's hard for me to, like, really... Like, I almost think that in some ways, like, Monacy, just mechanically speaking, looks better. Like, Agreed. He, I, I feel like he might be better, but I just think like his play was a little bit more like one note. But I remember all these games for Zywu, like no joke, I remember all these games for Zywu where he was playing like one spot for a whole round for, for Vitality. And some reason, the opponents just all come to him. And then you think about like how the, the, the team for Vitality used utility and their bodies to block off space to like funnel them basically funnel the opponents that is to Zywu. And I'm not I don't see that with Monacy at all. Like I don't see the opponents just charging him in the same way where he could pick up these like crazy multi-frags. So like I honestly what's crazy, I can't believe I'm saying that. Honestly, on eye test, Monacy might might in the last in the last month, he's he's just as good. Like he's he's just it's crazy. It's crazy how good he's looked. So that's that's my that's my piece my piece on him. I think for me, I think what you what you said was really similar to what I was originally going to say in the sense that the support structure Zewu had when he first came up was far superior to what Monacy had. I think Monacy originally obviously had Blade coaching him through the whole Navi Junior team, but after that, that kind of like the second he hit Tier One, that kind of fell away, and Zewu meanwhile had very experienced people around him to kind of coach him through playing against some of the best teams in the world. Not necessarily coach him through. I think obviously like Zewu had been playing FPL for a long time and he had his own individual ability and he was like a prodigy level player in that sense. But he had the right structure around him to set him up to play very well on top of all of that. Whereas G2 were kind of figuring out who they were, like figuring out their own identity as a team when Monacy joined. And it seems like they're kind of only now getting a sense of that. And we're seeing that kind of hit home and help Monacy flourish in that way. I think I I can't like I think for if we're saying the first year, I would definitely say Z was was superior, but I think in terms of how's Monacy's performing right now, there's like He's outperforming Zewu in the last month compared to Zewu's like general form. Like wh from what we've seen, Monacy with Hooksy, he's playing better than Zewu did in his. It's hard to average a month over a year, obviously, but but in terms of level form, Monacy's got a little bit more uh, output. I, yeah. I get, actually, I'll I'll say this though. I think I think Zywu, 
in his first year showed me more with rifles. Actually, I think he had almost maybe a more well-rounded game. Um, I also think Zywa was more clutch in his first year, even though like the clutches from Monacy are like so like they're so insane that they just get burned into your brain yep. that you think he has like so many. But like I don't like he does win a good amount, but he also like I don't know. Like I felt like Zywa. Like the the thing is that's kind of weird to me is that I feel like. If if you just took like Zaiwu and like natural player progression and like traject like career trajectory and skill and everything, I almost think Zaiwu's first year made it look like okay, this guy should be a top three player in the world for the next six years, like five or six years, because he played very smart too, uh, but also probably looked better because of the system. Whereas Monacy sometimes like, dude, I don't know if he can keep this up for three years. Like this is insane levels of play. So it's kind of like in a longevity standpoint, which I don't, I guess no one's really asking, but like, I think Zywu looks like he could just like keep doing this. Like he looks so much cleaner in how he plays the game and he doesn't have to hit the, the 10 out of 10 difficulty shots, even though he could very frequently do it. I barely feel like he has to, and he still wins in like really sick one V threes. It's just that like, they're just less flashy because he doesn't need to be flashy. Zaiwu was always an excellent rifler, though. Like, he, yeah. before he even started opting, he was a rifler. That's the thing. Like, as a player, his skill level was always that high, whereas Monacy kind of became known as an opper first. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think Monacy's rifling still impressed me. Like, yeah, especially in G2's last series versus Phase, he was rifling like most of Nuke on their CT side, at least. And that was pretty good. I yeah. think, like, yeah. I, I don't think. I, I wouldn't say that his rifling's better than Zewu's. Like, Zewu's rifling back in his first year is definitely above where Monacy's at, but I don't think it's, like, that far of a drop. Like, it almost reminds me of how Kenny S used deagles and rifles. Like, he was still pretty good with them. if In, in his prime, obviously, not recently. I'll, I'll give one stat. Actually, I just looked it up. Twenty So far this year, 2022... 56% of Monacy's kills are with the op. And yes. in, in Zywu's first year, it was 39%. So Monacy is opping. Like, he has to... It he doesn't have to have the op in his hands to succeed, but, like, Zywu really showed he does not need the op. And he's still... Was like, Nevera on the team, though? During that period? Uh, in yeah, actually... First year? He was, oh, right? I don't know. I don't know if in the... No, 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 no. It wasn't in the first year. That was no, your Epicenter, year, 20, yeah, Epicenter yeah. was the last event, okay. and Nevera was not on that team. Okay. Got yeah, that. that was still Alex. Alex was still calling, and it had RPK. So, yeah, it wasn't like sharing op roles or anything like that. Okay, I think that's well. I, I will this. Let's just 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 give them a flat answer: better or worse? I would say worse. Yeah, worse. Yeah. Pretty simply worse. Agreed. That's like the, the end of this. Yeah. Um, but 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 has potential very soon to be better now that they have a almost better system. Well, when you shade it's, in the context of the support structure and all that stuff, it's almost like Monacy's not really billed as the super carry that Zewu was for Vitality. So it's like... Vitality didn't have a, didn't have a Nico on yeah. the team. So, not even yeah. really a hunter, honestly. So yeah. No, not really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, let's do, let's do shoutouts. Let's do some shoutouts here. Um, if Mix has a shoutout, type it, Mix. But I think Mix might be... I think he went to bed. Yeah, I might be in bed. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Pranogo, then. What is, what is your shout-out? 
Uh, shout out Hades. He's now, now on finest. I said that you were as good as Searson, so please prove me correct. That's it. Okay. Note, what's your, what's your shout out? Uh, I would say a shout out uh, the HLTV Celebrity Fantasy League, where I'm going to catch up to Maui Snake in no time. Um, where are you at? Suffering it? hardcore. I mean, I almost got eight points in my first game, but I was twenty six first, top twenty six instead of top twenty five. Oh yeah, that stuff so is annoying, honestly. That was un- that was unlucky, but I'm coming for you because you played all three games, and I'm already at half your points. I could, I've gotten so, four points on every single one. That's it. Just saying, I'm on my. Yeah, way. I've, I've got. I'm just Mister Consistent on these things. I just like not. I didn't even put rolls in like the first week or something like that too. I forgot. I didn't even do boosters on like one of the weeks also, or like maybe the first week I didn't do roll. The, the first week I didn't do boosters and the second week I didn't do rolls. Cause I just forgot these things, but now I get it. Now I know what to do. So I'm not going to mess up anymore. I'll get, I'll get all the points I'm supposed to get. So you say that, but I learned, I've learned how to play. I've learned how to play. I've learned how to play. All right. Um, no boosters. What? I <laughs> know. Right. Like it's such a foreign concept to me, but now I, now, now I now I get it. Okay, so uh, my shout out is, um, let's see, what's my shout out? Uh, I guess I could give it to uh, the night shift. There it let's is. Give it to the night shift. Let's give it to Paula and Blah. Let's do that. So uh, shouts out to the fellow night shifters who are not only keeping these broadcasts fun and fresh, but also. Pretty much the guys I hang out with like all the time. So that's basically all I got right now. So I have to give them a shout out because I'm trapped. <laughs> I can't wait for Sponge's diss track to come out. The rap uh, track that's that they're working on. Are, like, how, okay, is that is that really gonna take place? Are they really gonna diss the night shift? I th- I think it's already happening. They need oh, to get okay, Boomich good. in as a guest guest artist, obviously. Oh yeah, sure. Of course, that'll be good. That'll be good. Um, okay. Uh, also, shout out to everybody that's going to be at the NARMR. That's all I'm going to leave it at. Just there you put go. it right there. All right. Peace. I think that's it. I think we're good. Let's run. Let's show the patrons. Let's show them all.